I'm Jason Sylvia, and this is The Creative Capital Show. A show about creative people and how those creative people turn into entrepreneurs by taking their creativity and turning it into a business and facing all the trials and tribulations along the way. We often think about clothes as something to wear to protect us from the elements, or a uniform that's used to fit in. But have you ever wondered about using clothes as a form of self-expression, or a way to provide access to a different lifestyle? If you have, then you will want to hear the story of this episode's guest, Albert J. Pacwa, the owner and founder of ready-to-wear luxury lifestyle brand, Pour La Ville. Pour La Ville translates to, for the city which is appropriate given Albert's inspiration comes from the city he calls home, that city being Providence. In this episode, I sit down and talk with Albert about the transition from being someone who appreciates fashion to someone who creates fashion, the importance of choosing the right partners to work with, the struggles of learning the business of fashion, why we tie memories to certain pieces of clothing, his dream to have Anna Wintour come to Providence, and a whole lot more. And it all started with a movie-like moment in a nightclub. Enjoy. Albert, Albert Chapakwa. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Yeah, you did. Nice. Okay. That you was already great. a good start. Yeah. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for uh, having me. Thank you for coming on. And actually, it's it's weird. You're saying thank you for having me be at I'm in your studio right now. <laughs> it's crazy how that works. Right? Yeah, it's just it's just a very weird thing of like, oh, wait a minute. Like, thank you for having me on your show, but I'm physically in your space. <laughs> the, the beauty of being able to, um, people, it's the beauty of being able to uh, to have a mobile podcast set up. Yeah. It's one of those things where you can you can make people feel more comfortable and yeah. go to, go to their spot. This is different. Like, yeah. It kind of reminds me of, you remember with COVID uh, when they started doing the tiny desk, but yes. they started doing the concerts in the home and it just makes like the experience so much more intimate, you know? And I think like, like it's so great that like you can invite people on your podcast, but you could pull up where they feel comfortable. They could host you in their space and, you know, kind of do it. You know, like let's say we were at my house or something. We could have been like sitting on the floor, legs crossed. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. It's cool. I, I think you and I are going to do the, the A&J Tiny Table podcast instead of Tiny Desk. Yeah, Watch, yeah. watch out, honestly, NPR. Watch on, out. Yeah, honestly, we should brand that. I think <laughs> Tiny I think, Table podcast. No, wait, wait. I think you're onto something. Seriously. It's, it's like, like... Have it on a little tray table and get like the smallest recording interface we could find and yeah. get sponsored. Be like, do you have a tiny setup? Yeah. <laughs> tiny Table from Zoom. podcast. Yeah. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I like that. Tiny the table. Tiny Table podcast. With Albert and Chase. There you go. There you go, everybody. The Tiny Table Podcast. They have just witnessed history being yep. made. Yep. So so when so now when when that other podcast is famous and this one goes completely down the shitter. <laughs> I wouldn't say all that. Yeah. I mean I mean I will and I'm hosting the show. But yeah. uh, but when that happens, everybody can be like, 
I knew back when, when I heard that episode of Cradle Capital Show that nobody listens to anymore. Oh my that, goodness. That, <laughs> that the Albert and Jason Tiny Table podcast was going to be a thing. Honestly, it's a concept. I haven't really seen anything like that. And I watch a lot of podcasts, so I think... We will totally get sued by NPR, but that's fine. Um, anyway. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. I, yeah. Don't worry, people. We're actually going to do this episode. So... <laughs> Albert, you have you have a a label, yes, a uh, fashion label, brand. yes, sir, um, called Pour Laville. Yes, but before we get into that, I want to start with, you know, um, I tr- I try my best to do research for the show. Yeah. Sometimes it goes well, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, with this, the information that I found was not necessarily like like the whole um, like Nardwar type yeah, sense. I was but, just about to say that. But one one thing I did notice is, and correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. It seems like more years ago you were more the model slash Instagram fashion person type of route. Yeah, that's so. That, would that would that be? Correct. I mean, especially with that, you know, and I've seen you around. I've seen some of the brands you wear, which yeah. I can appreciate. Um, Thank you. But you know, can you talk about that start um, and how that all got started? Whether that was from you know you always like dressing like well, maybe as a kid. Did yeah. you have? Was it like uh, the situation with uh, Sudi, which that's an episode to go listen to, everybody? Yes, great, I'm going sh- to shamelessly, episode. thank you, I'm going to shamelessly plug my own stuff during uh-huh. this, as always, um, where you had like an older sibling or yeah. like an older friend in foods. Like, what started that first? Yeah, so um, honestly, so what really got me into fashion was my older cousins. So shout out to my cousin Aaron, um, shout out to my cousin Leslie, uh, rest his soul. My cousin Aubrey as well. Um, they were just always super fly, you know. Um, they really like. I used to go to my cousin Aaron's house like every day after school because my parents worked a lot, and he's the one that like introduced me into like, like basically took me on like a huge culture run, like put me onto like certain rap music, like just things that because I'm I'm the oldest in my household, so a lot of things that I wasn't exposed to. There was nobody obviously that was gonna show it to me, so. When I went to my cousin's house, like, I was just lis- listening to the music they were listening to. I was reading the magazines they were reading. I was going with them to play basketball, just different things. And, like, they were always super heavy into sneakers. So it obviously started as sneakers. And then we would, like, watch music videos. That That's how I got into, like, the fashion sense. I saw what, you know, the artists were wearing back then, like Jay-Z, Kanye, things of that nature. Um, And then, like, yeah, it, it basically went on from there. And I, I was, like, I'm, like, way younger than them, so, like, it looked like in my age group, I was super advanced because I was wearing things that like people my age weren't really into. Can you but, name? Can you name some of those things? Yeah. Some so of those like pieces? when I was in like elementary school and like middle school, I was wearing Comme des Garcons, you know, and that's because like that's what my cousins were into. Like my cousin was super into like Kanye and Pharrell, so um, I was wearing Bape early, like super early on Supreme, all things of that nature. Like before, like streetwear like, was really a wave, because if you look at streetwear now, especially like brands like Supreme, they kind of, like, geared towards, like, younger kids, you know? Like, I don't know if you've noticed, but Supreme is technically, like, the ideology is technically geared towards, like, a younger crowd. So, like, well, when like, I got... Like a, like a kid who skates. Yeah, ex- which, which exactly. Which makes sense for the, pr- the, for, for the, the brand. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's, it's one of those brands that you grow with, but then you kind of grow out of. I don't know if you notice like... Like, at some point, I was super huge into Supreme. And then, like, it's like an entry-level brand where you start with it, and then you start to, like, gain your own knowledge and own insight on fashion. So you kind of let go of it, you know? I mean, for me, I, I think it evolved, too. I went from that to, like, Noah, yeah, which I think exactly. makes a natural yeah. evolution. Because yeah. for anybody that doesn't know, Noah Babenzian was 
their creative director yeah, at one Supreme. time and then yep. he started his own brand no which to me feels like if you grew up with supreme but you're getting older and you're yeah. possibly becoming more a parent mature. or something like that yeah it noah takes that spirit but kind of puts exactly. it in a more refined more yep. mature you know a little bit more higher end on like the textiles even though yeah. supreme stuff is actually like made in the usa yeah, and things great. like that it's great um, quality. And well, I th- and and now depends. well now J Crew because now uh, Noah's doing the the design direction for J Crew's like yep. menswear which God God knows they needed it for, for fuck's sake holy <laughs> yeah, shit yeah J Crew uh, I won't say anything but no they no they they needed they needed the help yeah. they needed the help a lot of brands need help but that's a, that's a whole different conversation but um yeah so yeah that's kind of where it started and then like I said like you know I grew up kind of like the exponential growth of, like, internet uh, culture. So, like, when Tumblr and stuff was, you know, getting really popular and things, like, it was just exposing me to so much, you know? And then, like, um, I'll never forget, like, one time, I, uh, what was it? I think when Watch the Throne came out, when Ye said, what's that jacket, Margella? And my cousin just always kept repeating that to me. He was like, yo, bro, do me a favor, go on Google and look up that jacket. I'll never forget the image that came up. I believe it was... um the collab with H&M, it was a jacket that had, it was basically essentially made out of belts, leather belts. And it was just like the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. Like I was never exposed to anything of that nature. So I was like, wow. Like, and then from there, I just went down a rabbit hole. Like Margiela became my favorite designer and like just been years and years and years of research and just like, yeah, I like, I just love fashion so much, you know, it's like a outward of expression of who I am. Like, it's never necessarily about, like, the price point, but it's more so, like, fashion has more so always been, like, a feeling for me. You know, like, when I get dressed, it's because I'm feeling a certain way. So that's why, like, I, I never, I say, like, I never dress, like, two occasions. Like, I never feel over or underdressed because I'm just wearing what I feel. So. So for you, fashion and those type of things were less of, I'm wearing certain pieces to look presentable or to like go to a specific event or because it's a certain like time of the day yeah. or cause I'm going and more so uh, a self-expression. Yeah. Literally because like there'll be times like I could come, let's say I could come to the studio like at night, let's say like after work and after a workout, it's like 1130. Like I know I'm not going to see anybody, but I'll just be like, Hey, I really want to wear this outfit today. I feel like this will look cool. So I'll throw it on. I'll come in the studio. I'll come to the studio look in the mirror, I'll feel great, and then <laughs> sit down and get to work. So it's just, like, I feel like when you, like, think about it this way, like, have you ever had a, a moment where you there's something you want to wear and you envision it a certain way, and when you put it on, it fits exactly how you want it to? And think about that feeling. Be, being short, that usually doesn't happen, but the times <laughs> that the times that it does, yeah. it's, it's great. It's but, great, right? But yeah, but, like, which is really rare for me. Yeah. Um, but, yes, yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, so just take that and just, like, multiply it on like every aspect so it's like there's certain things i wear let's say like i like the way this top like stops right here or i like the way this jacket is a little wider on the shoulders or i like the way that when i wear these pants and i sag a little they drop and you know they overshadow my shoes a bit like i just feel like there's so many things like when you really break fashion down like it's really simple though like i feel like people try to make fashion like this super like complex like like insiders club and it's really not that deep at all well at least for me i i I try to look at it like a little kid, like the way, like, cause I have a, I have a young nephew. So I, I like have the luxury of watching him grow and seeing like the way he like consumes things and like his perspective. And it's like, everything is so simple. Like, you know, like the other day we had an argument because 
he didn't want he wanted he didn't want the Tyson chicken nuggets because they weren't shaped like animals. And like that's just his MO, you know? So it's just like things are that simple. Like, I don't want these pants because they don't fit right on my shoes, you know? Or I really love this shirt and I'll wear it every day because it just makes me feel great, you know? Um Actually, you know what? This wasn't a planned question, but yeah. I do want to ask you about this. The idea of fashion and clothing as like a shield, as armor, as mm. a costume. Yeah. Because um, I, I think you're tapping into something that's really interesting, and I just yeah. want to get your thoughts on that. Have you ever thought about it that way? Or if not you, have you, have you ever reflected on that and go like, huh, I wonder if certain people dress that way because it's armor or they feel like they have to yeah. you know f- depending on the situation yeah one thousand percent i think people use it to build a personality rather than their personality building the clothes they wear if that makes sense like i feel like for example like you see me around you see i wear a lot of colors and my personality reflects that right but at times if you if you notice i'm always wearing something super colorful but then everything else is super calm and plain to balance it out and that's like literally an out like a ideology for my personality like there's moments where like i'm super bubbly and it depends on the situation but at most points especially if you don't know me i just look like that calm guy you know like i could be at a party or something i'll just there like not talking to anybody it's not anything against anyone but that's just my personality like at times especially if i don't know everyone there i just don't feel comfortable to speak but then sometimes let's say you see me at like a state silent party or something you're like wow this guy's always like super energetic but that's because in that environment everyone feels like family you know so it's just everything is based on environment so like that's the one thing i tell everybody about stay silent especially like if I take somebody to an event and they've never been to one. Yeah. I'm like, no, you're going to feel like, like it's like friends and family. Yeah, it's you. literally a family affair. Like everything just feels supernatural. It's not forced, you know? And I feel like that's how I dress. Like it's never forced. Everything just looks right. And that's not like even saying that, like, you know, I'm, like I dress perfectly or whatever. I just, I found a niche of the way I dress for everything to just look effortless because I don't put much thought into getting dressed, you know? So actually it brings up another interesting side question yeah in the sense that you were talking about personality like dictating what you wear not what you wear dictating personality yeah. do you think that that was all like cause I, I i i wonder if you agree or disagree with this like it seems like now certain people's personality mm. is wrapped up in the brands they buy and wear yes. i'm not here to say and like do you think that that's good if that's bad is I it kind of just is because like people are finding communities in that yeah. sense too, which which I think it's great. It's great to have a community, but when your personality and your identity is wrapped up Around in the items brand. you buy or yeah. like the brands that you wear, yeah. it, it's like where does you, where does you and the brand end? And yeah. then what happens if the brand does something Excuse like me. that you don't that agree you don't agree with? with. Yeah. And um, yeah, like so, like what is? Do you think that's a more recent phenomenon, or you think that's always been like that? We and we just we're seeing it more because we have access social to information. Media. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the weird thing about social media is that you're you're seeing more people unintentionally than we've ever seen ever. You know, and I think yeah, um, they actually have like memes about that on like certain like fashion pages about like like I saw one joke one of my friends put in a group chat. I was like, okay, you go to a party, would you rather talk to A, B, or C? And it's like. A had, like, a certain, like, it would name certain brands, like, certain shoes, certain top, like, 
and they're associating certain personalities with these brands. And more more times than not, they're oh, like they're like true. those starter pack memes. Yes, exactly those. And yeah, I hate I hate when people like like for example like the worst and you know no one get offended, but I think like one of the worst like subgenre like fashion groups is people that wear Rick Owens. Like everyone that wears Rick Owens just swears that they're just like these fashion gods and i'm like it's not that deep like rick is cool i guess you know like don't get me wrong like i love rick owens as much as the next guy hopefully rick doesn't hear this and sue us or anything or or he does and it just gets us both instant notoriety so actually rick rick if anybody at rick owens hears this if this somehow gets to them yeah don't 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 take on albert but feel free to sue the crap out of me i i no i need the law i need the contract i need the lawsuit so feel free feel free to rick owens if this ever gets back to you sue me into oblivion i need i I don't have much to get you know there's not gonna get much from me anyway but i'm just saying i need the notoriety i need the headlines so rick go for it whatever works right but yeah i'm sure he's even aware of you know um the people that wear his clothes because when you look at his newer collections it's literally just remixes in different colors and of the same clothes he's made before. You know, he does. There's not too many new ideas coming from that fashion house, and I just think, um, yeah, when people associate brands with their personality too much, it's boring. You know, it's predictable. Like, I already know what you're gonna wear every day. But then again, like, it works for some people. You know, like, uh, like how we were just talking about like Pharrell and, and Chad. Like, when you think about someone like Pharrell, and you think about you associate like Bape. And like human made and like like certain brands to him, you know, like Chanel. And I'm like, wow, that is like dope. You know, it works for some people. Like how Kanye had his whole polo thing for a while, it works. But when other people like give a negative connotation to a brand because they don't have any personality, they're not like adding, they're not accentuating the brand, if that makes sense. Like the clothes are wearing them. And that's my number one pet peeve is when people allow the clothes to wear them. They only buy things because everyone else likes it. They know if they buy this shirt, then, you know, they kind of fit into this mold. And I just, I think fashion, like I said before, fashion has to be about expression. You know, like, for example, like someone like super cool and that I look up to is is Sudi. Like every time I see him, I compliment what he's wearing because I know when I tell him I like this piece, he's going to tell me about it. He's going to, he can tell me the exact storyline, what country is from, probably who the artesian was. Like, it's so, like, I love that. You know, like when you could tell someone put so much care into the products they're buying. Like, I don't know. It's just different. Funny enough, I bought somewhat similar shirts from you and Sudi. Yeah. Um, which we're going to get into that in, yeah. in a bit. That's going to be further down the line. And also, you don't know who Sudi is. The Sudi, the Sudi Belly Art episode. Go go t- listen to this one first, but then go check that one out. <laughs> they got to listen to this one shame, to get to that one. Yeah, shame, shame, shameless self-promotion, yeah, folks. Um, I'm, I'm always doing it. <laughs> I, again, Rick Owens, sue me. Thank you. <laughs> I'm 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 going to push that now. Yeah. Like like, nah, Rick like Owens, I'm me. I'm literally gonna like get a Rick Owens T-shirt and just like put in crappy white paint on yeah, it. Rick Owens, me. please sue me, <laughs> and just make every Rick Owens person mad on Reddit oh and Instagram my, and just oh, piss them off. You, yo, you have to do it. You have to go, <laughs> I think I need to do this now. You got to go on the Reddit pages and see how people talk about Rick. Like it's so crazy. Like talk like talk about his sneakers and just be like, aren't those just dunks? And you're like, ah, like <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm t- like it's. Like Rick Owen fans are the worst. I'm sorry. If you listen, if that's your favorite designer, I honestly hope you get offended. Honestly. <laughs> I hope you you listen to this and get really mad. This at is me. this is where the podcast got like everybody's gonna look back and go, huh, so this is when it got controversial. <laughs> this is when it got interesting. 
Hey, man, because, you know, some people say Rick. I say Margiela is the greatest designer of all time. But, hey, some people say Raph. Some people say Rick. I say it's Margiela. Hey, that's neither here nor there. I, I, I've, I've, I've got some different. We'll, we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll that. talk about it. Because um, I, I only need so much controversy. So, anyway, <laughs> just, just enough so I can get some notoriety. Yeah. So, what, so you know, you're, in, you're, you're introduced into certain, you know, cultures, subcultures, yeah. specifically fashion yeah. and the gate the gateway drug of that being sneakers which is interesting 100 uh, percent. um what were the moment because you know describe to me that was there a singular moment or was there moments was it an evolution of going from because you know a lot of people like you know you go on instagram like there's there's you can throw a a, a rock in the virtual pool of instagram and, mm. and, and or twitter or tiktok and, and hit a fat uh, yeah. and hit like a fashion influencer or, or enthusiast and there's nothing wrong with that like what you yeah. like but there is a difference between being a fan of something and being into something and then going from that to like, I'm going to now participate, not just from an appreciative standpoint, yeah. but I'm going to now create something yes. and put it out into the world. Can you describe a moment or moments or an evolution of like where that thinking started and it and like, you know, you start you started to change from, uh, you know person who appreciates and wears to person who now wants to create yeah um so great question by the way That's, i've never thought about that um i guess yeah there was just a lot of moments i mean when i was younger like i said like i I was always seeing these things and i was just so fascinated but there wasn't really like everybody was like they all knew each other you know like for example like kanye came up through like jay-z you know like he got signed to Rockefeller, like things of that nature so it's like all these artists like i never thought it was possible to live in an era where it's like this small kid from providence could possibly get his clothes on x person that lives in la or this person is at a concert wearing my pieces like that wasn't possible like let's say a decade ago you know so it really took like guys like virgil coming up and like letting me see that like hey like you can do this you know not to cut you off, yeah. but when you say not possible, do you mean not possible from like a infrastructure standpoint, yeah. like having access to materials and yeah. being able to like sell things online, or was it not possible in the sense of, um, I will hopefully I frame this correctly, yeah, because let's let's be honest, up until recently, up until guys like Virgil, may, may he rest in peace, yes, yes you didn't, you you only you you saw a lot of designers will have a certain color and that color was usually white yeah you know european white but white 100 percent. so like, like did that play into it as well like I, I just wanted you to yeah. i just want you to define what you like what you mean by like yeah. hey you know like it couldn't be done 10 yeah, years yeah, ago yeah i mean yeah i mean there's a whole bunch of isms that we could go into but um yeah i mean a, a young african-american kid from the smallest state in the freaking country in a in a an industry that's basically run by, you know, Europe. So, no, it just didn't seem like I couldn't, I didn't even know where the entry point was. You know, I, there was no door for me to visual, visualize for me to even walk in, walk through. Um, it's just, yeah. I mean, especially everything that wasn't from Europe came from New York. And like at the time I was too young to like be going back and forth to New York. I didn't really know that many people from New York at the time. So it just didn't seem like something that, I can do you know it didn't seem achievable and I wasn't even thinking like that far you know like I had this like strong love for fashion but I, at the time like 
when I was young, I wasn't really thinking like, hey, I want to be a designer. Well, yes and no. I kind of always knew I wanted to work in fashion. I just wasn't sure. So back to your earlier question when you said like, you know, it appeared like that was more of like a model or like trying to become an influencer, so to say. That's kind of what it was because I was looking for like some sort of like adjacency. Like I kind of wanted to use leverage, you know, so I was like, okay, if I blow up as a model, then I'm already in the industry and I, I have like some sort of notoriety, then I could start this fashion brand. You have you, know? you would have the connections and exactly. the leverage to then use those connections and that leverage then to yeah. talk to people that have the access to the manufacturing, the like the origin or the yeah. sale or whatever you needed to exactly. make the thing a reality. Yeah, okay. because at the end of the day everything is about access, you know? And I think about leverage a lot. I think one of the most important um like quotes I've ever heard was that the person that started McDonald's was never into fast food. He was a real estater, you know? So it's like... Well, that's how they make their money. They don't make their money off the burgers. Like, yeah. like they make their money off the, the real the estate. Real estate. Exactly. They're, they're, McDonald's is a real estate company. Exactly. It's not a food company. Exactly. So think about how crazy that is. The, the number one fast food restaurant in the world is not even was not even started on the idea of being a fast food restaurant. Funny you mentioned that head of Best Buy, I mean, back when they were like dominating, yeah. he, when he, they said like, somebody asked him, oh, like, why did you want to start uh, like an electronics? Yeah. Like, like selling electronics. He's like, we don't sell electronics. It's like, what the hell do you sell? He's like, we sell real estate in the sense of our shelves mm, and who we pick exactly. to put in there. He's like, we're not selling electronics. We're selling real estate. Yeah. And these people who make electronics are now putting... that got blown up later on, obviously with yeah. Amazon stuff, but at the time. And so it's interesting that. Yeah access and leverage and what you think is one thing it's really they're making money another way yeah because honestly like like subconsciously i kind of did the same thing like i just like you know just continued well yeah i'll say continue to like just dress well and that kind of became like a notion of like who i am you know so like people would associate like fashion with me already so of course it would make sense for me to streamline into a designer so people like didn't always know that that was my plan but when they saw me doing the modeling thing or they saw me like, you know, buying certain pieces or dressing a certain way, when I started making my own clothes, it made sense. You know, people were telling me like, oh, it's just a matter of time. And it's like, it's not like I sat back and had like this huge big picture moment, but I just, at some point, I think especially when I was in college, I was like, all right, like, how am I going to get access to certain people? How am I going to be able to talk to certain people? How am I going to get in these rooms? And honestly, it was through like modeling, like, I didn't, like, take the crit, And it's so funny because at the time, like, I actually had, like, agencies and stuff that wanted to sign me, but it's crazy. And Jabron, <laughs> Jabron would tell you this, like, Jabron and I had a sit-down. Like, we probably sat down for, like, two hours because Jabron was, like, a lot of people may not know, but he was, like, a super, like, accomplished model back in the day. Check out the Jabron episode after this yeah. one. No, Again, he's another really, shameless really talented guy. Um, so he was, like, my mentor at the time when I was trying to get into the modeling thing. And um, what had happened was he was like, dude, you got to cut your goatee. Like, at the time, I had, like, a really long goatee when I was in college. Like, I had, the like, the bone structure, everything, slim, everything was on point. He was like, bro, you got to cut your goatee. I was like, dude, like, I've been growing this for a while. Like, I'm not trying to cut it. Like, is there any way around this? He was like, when you get in the industry, you could do whatever you want with your facial hair because you'll already be that model that's known for whatever, right? But in the beginning, to shoot these 
these uh these pictures that we're gonna submit to the agencies, you have to cut your goatee. I was like, bro, I'm not doing it. So I ended up like shaving it a little bit. I sent him a picture. He was like, yeah, that looks nice, but bro, you got it. Like, what are you doing? Go like your face needs to be bald. And I just refused to do it. I don't know why. I didn't see the bigger picture vision. But yeah, so you know, modeling didn't go that far. Um, I kind of fumbled on that, but um, I still ended up modeling like a lot for like local brands and stuff, and you know that as well as like my personal style helped me like network with a lot of people and then it just everything became shameless you know like um yeah so yeah that's that's kind of what it was now why why making your own pieces and why like why not you know taking the modeling further or why not i don't know being a A a fashion writer or a stylist or maybe working for another company or you know or i know blogging like had its People still blog, but it's like in yeah. a different form now. Like the you know the blog era. Why not join that or working yeah. for a Karma Loop, um, yeah. you know, or something of of that nature? Why? What led you? Or did you did you try those things? Yeah, uh, so, I'm just curious as to like what led you to this one path of making your own pieces versus, you know, if you want to get in the industry because there are different ways to do it rather than yeah. just being on the design end of things. Um. So. I did. Um. I had a job at Eblins, which is like a well-known sneaker store out here um so i did that for a little bit that was fun um i also worked at nike for a bit and i actually did really well at nike i was at a point thinking of moving up to corporate because they wanted me to like start to like position myself for like managerial positions and stuff because like obviously i was like super knowledgeable about everything nike and you know like i told you before that was due to like growing up in the culture knowing everything just about everything you know whereas like some of the managers over there, they come from, like, whether it's, like, a a schooling background in, like, marketing or, like, in business, and they're managing this store, and they're getting acquainted to the Nike products in that aspect for the first time, whereas, like, being the kid that grew up on Nike and then working at Nike, like, you could see the difference when I'm talking to consumers versus somebody that's just learning about Nike, you know, so, um, but that, that, those experiences gave me a lot of insight on the business aspect of fashion because, that's and that's probably something we'll speak more on later. But the oh, business, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna get into that. Yeah, because the business aspect of fashion is so hard. Like market, and I'm still struggling with it. Honestly, I'm it's it's a it's a learning curve that I'm trying to battle every day. But you know, I'm getting a little better. Um, and you guys will see. I'm gonna start posting more content, and I'll speak more on that in here. But yeah, the reason why I decided I want to be a designer, um. Honestly, there's there's just certain things that I felt like I wanted to see or I wanted, you know, to be more accessible to those around me that I felt like I needed to be the one to bring X product here or, you know, to create such product to represent something. Whereas, like, there's just certain things I saw or I more so felt were missing, you know? And, uh, yeah, I just I just felt like the way, like, I view the world and my like perspective on fashion and stuff. I feel like I have a story to tell and I have something to contribute, you know? Um. So now this leads to your, your brand, yeah. your, your creation, which is poor Laville. Yes, sir. Uh, which translates to for the city. Yes. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how did you come up with that name? Was that the, was that like, the name or did you have a couple other names you were toying around with yeah, like what so, made you what made you think of of that 
So I actually had this like super like movie moment where I actually went. So I was in college. It was a Halloween party. This was when State Silent was still at Aurora. So I went R.I.P. Aurora, by the way. Oh, yeah. That, that place that place was great. But I think it never just a brief aside. I think it never knew what it wanted to be. Mm. Like one night I remember like there was like shadow puppets and the next night there was like a sludge metal yeah. band. And then the next night you'd have like uh, stay, stay silent there part, yeah. and it, it just it could never establish like what Their the heck identity. Yeah. Of like, oh, that's what to expect. Yeah. Like literally, I'm not kidding, folks. There was like shadow puppets one night and then stay silent the next, yeah. which is. I think I had this conversation with Sabrina one time, actually. <laughs> so that's funny. Um, and that, that was probably more of like an ownership issue, but that's another, yeah, that's yeah, a whole, yeah, a whole different <laughs> heads of Aurora. Feel free to sue me. And then oh can I get God. you on the show? Yo, please. Nobody, <laughs> nobody sue Jason. He's a great guy. Please. Yeah. No, or I, I mean, don't sue me to the point where it puts me in the port, but like yeah. I need, I, again, I need the headlines. We should make some sue Jason merch. That would actually <laughs> yes, be fire. Please, please sue Jason. No, I'm telling you that would well, be no, fire. I, but it would be, but I feel like we'd have to either put my last name or like Jason of creative capital show in oh, little yeah, letters. Yeah. Cause we don't, we don't want to get J J yeah, so many. There's so many. Yeah. J's like there's city. a lot of J's in this city and yeah. like doing good work that don't want to get sued, <laughs> but me go for it. Yeah. Anyway. So yes, yeah, so you had a movie moment. Yeah. So I went to Aurora uh for the bounce house which was the holiday halloween edition and i had met this photographer her name was lee she moved to uh korea by the way she's doing great things shout out to lee if you listen to this you you changed my life that night <laughs> so um i don't know what it was that made her come up to me um but she came up to my friend and i and she was like hey like who are you what do you do oh she's a photographer so obviously she came up to me and she asked if she could take our picture i think that's where it, where it went and then we just started having this conversation. It's like, hey, who are you? What do you do? Et cetera, et cetera. And I told her, like, oh, I think I said I wanted to be a designer. She said something along the lines, like, no, there's no wanting to be. Like, either you are or you're not. And that was a great point. Um, and then she she asked me a little bit about the brand, what I wanted to do. And she just, like, went on this spiel about, like, brand identity. And she started giving me, like, idea like examples about, like, certain ideologies like Noah, Supreme, APC, Agni, et cetera, et cetera. And she was like, you have to build, like, an ideology for your brand. Like, the brand has to stand for something, whether it's consciously or subconsciously. It, like, needs, it needs a story. Exactly. Like, you can't just put a brand out, like, you know what I'm saying? You can't just start from scratch and just put a brand out and just, like, have it be that brand. You know, like, I'm not, like, a celebrity. So people have to feel, like, like they're they're aligning with the brand in some way, you know. So, um, at the time, I believe the name of my brand was uh, Sanctified PVD, and I don't remember why I chose that brand. Um, probably like some religion, some religious reason. Uh, but I had made like some T-shirts in high school, and they they were cool. Um, I was actually gonna start the brand with my friend Jesse, but at the time we didn't have access to any resources, so uh, that kind of never went anywhere. Which is cool, though. Like, I have one of those, like, trial and error, like, stories where, like, I've been, like, starting brands since, like, middle school. And, like, we always, like, got the website started, like, did things, and we just never were able to take it anywhere until this point where, you know, now I have my brand now. I was finally able to get off the ground. But back to Lee. So, yeah, um, she was like, no, like, you need to have an ideology. So, literally, when I got back to my, um, when I got back to my dorm that night at URI, like, I was just brainstorming. So, like, 3 in the morning, I was like, yo, my brain needs to stand for something, stand for something, stand for something. And I was like, who am I doing it for and why? And I was like, I'm doing it for the city. And so when you hear, like, the translation of POV, uh, by the way, a lot of people do refer to the brand POV. So if I say POV, I'm referring to Port Laville. Um, So I was like, 
what is like what did I feel like was missing? Because, you know, seeing what at that time, seeing what everyone around me wore was mainly streetwear. Everybody was into Supreme. Everybody was into Babe. Everybody was into these things. Right. But like there wasn't necessarily any spaces where like we had like that luxury brand. Right. We didn't like we have like J. Crew or we have like we had Nordstrom. You know, like Macy's, you could get like polo, but like there was nowhere I could get pieces. Like there was nowhere I could go and get like. Could it be CDG. fair that you that you could get those things online though, or just go up to Boston, like go to like a Ricardi? Yeah, like which which is felt like I mean, you know, for anybody that doesn't know New England geography, Providence to Boston is like a one hour train yeah, ride, car ride, yeah, at all. Um, so yeah, three hours to New York. So yeah, in all fairness, yeah, you could go to other cities, but why would you want to do that? Why are yeah, we? Good why, point. Yeah, you know, like. Why couldn't we develop something that would help represent our city? So I've always had, like, this big picture, like, I guess, story, quote-unquote, that, like, I wanted POV. It's, it's some, like, running joke that I always say to my friends. But literally every day I always tell them, like, hey, like, I'm going to have inner winter in Providence one time. You know, like, I want POV to get to the point where it's, like, we're so big that, like, they they put on the CFDA calendar for Fashion Week, like, oh, POV is doing the show in Providence. And people come here, like, the whole idea of PLV is to expose um, the world to what we have to offer rather than us always looking at other cities and stuff, especially in culture and fashion and like trying to adapt to them. Like, I feel like we have our own wave and I've just always had this idea of, because like I always, I feel like what my friends and stuff do is like so significant, you know? And I, I feel like we're the creative capital for a reason. So why? Hence the name of this show. Exactly. <laughs> so, I always felt like, okay, for the city, like, let's say I stick my neck out and let, let's say, you know, fingers crossed, I'm that big brand that blows up. Now I just created a door for so many people to walk through. And that's, that's literally what it is, you know? Again, also why this show exists from at least the tactical perspective. Because yeah. everybody talks about the sexy stuff, but yeah. not many people are going to talk about the tactical stuff, which we're going to get into in a little bit. But this brings up two interesting questions I have. Yes. One, um, you were mentioning, you know, the idea of, uh, of, you know, streetwear and things like that and access. Um, what now, now in terms of access, right, it is easier from an access standpoint, especially now, but even, even, even 10 years ago, yeah. um, that you could design a graphic, put it, you know, find blank tees, find somebody to screen print it. Or if you're really trying to, if you're really tight on cash, you could do the iron-on thing, yeah, right? Heat press. And yeah, heat press, things of that nature, and then put it out there. And, you know, it seemed like there was a time during like the blog era where like every, there was like a brand every five minutes doing yeah. like the whole t-shirt, hoodie, like t-shirt, hoodie, maybe a jacket, t-shirt, yeah. hoodie, maybe a jacket, and like some hats. Yeah. Um, which is not a bad way to start out. Uh, and it's not a bad way. And like, and, and especially if you're good at it, I mean, there are brands that are based on that. Yeah. What made you not want to go that route? Cause especially when you talk about access, like what made you go like, like I'm not going to do that. The, you know, I know you say you did t-shirts years ago, but like, what made you go? No, I'm, I'm going to do something a bit different. I'm going to do, I'm going to do more cut. And so I am going to yeah. do more luxury things. Like what made you not do the whole graphic on t-shirt graphic on hoodie route? Um, so honestly, like, I feel like more so it's just what I like, you know, and I just wanted to come from a genuine place whenever I create. So 
I create things that, you know, you could typically see me wearing. Like, I don't want to necessarily call it like a uniform, but just like things that you could see me moving in everyday life. And I just feel like if I'm trying to create this thing that I feel is quote unquote hasn't necessarily been done out here, like I need to, there needs to be something that gives people like that backing. Like people are calling me a luxury brand from the bat because my first like, like a lot of people's first introduction to me was my silk uh, button up, right? So when people see that and they're like, oh, that's POV and they're associating it instantly like, oh, that's a luxury brand. That's a silk shirt, you know? Whereas like if I started with a t-shirt, people would be like, okay, that's cool. I've started a brand, but what else? You know, like I just felt like- Like what have you done for me lately? Exactly, right? So starting with the t-shirts was like, cool. Like you could- you know, I could probably design like a kick-ass t-shirt. Like my first few t-shirts were really cool. They did well. Um, but I just felt like people wanted more, you know, like people expect, I, I don't really want to fall into the notion of like expectations, but like just like based on, you know, how I dress and stuff, people had like a certain expectation, like, okay, I'm expecting that from this guy. Like I want him to take it there, you know, like what they, just what they envisioned for me and my brand. And but yeah, I mean, uh, in short, I just didn't feel fulfilled doing t-shirts. I just felt like there was so, we could we could take it so much further, you know? Like, and it's funny because out here, like a lot of people don't like dressing up is what I've noticed, right? So like a lot of times, like people wear the POV, like at first, when I first dropped that black silk button up, like people would only wear it to like special occasions, right? But then what, be started happening and this is exactly what i want to happen it was literally my plan is that people started you know like i said creating that uniform like people like people just i'd see people wearing the pov shirt like continuously right like whether it was like a night out or like let's say they're wearing it to work or like something important like it, it they started like subconsciously associating that pov shirt with like a special moment right like there's a running joke that like you can't go on vacation without a POV shirt because like the amount of like pictures I have, like if you go on the Instagram, you look at like the tag pictures, like the, a good 90% are people wearing that shirt on vacation. Right. So it's like people are subconsciously associating this shirt with like whatever special moment it is. Right. And, and that's important because a lot of people, they don't realize they're doing it, but they are, you know, like, for example, like when you think of like heirlooms and stuff, Let's say you had like a bracelet and I ask you about it. And you're like, oh, yeah, this is a really special bracelet. My grandmother gave it to me and she got it from her mother who wore it, let's say, when they were migrating from Italy. Right. So now every time you wear that bracelet, it's a, it's subconsciously like you're thinking about the origin. Right. So now every time you wear this black silk button up, you're like, wow, I was wearing that shirt on vacation. I felt great. And and that's a that's a, a, a experience. And um a, f a feeling you're associating with the brand so all in all what i'll say is like i mentioned earlier i felt there was a need for something um i felt like i wanted to see people do more i i, I felt like a lot of people weren't uh dressing up as much you know people were, i don't want to say people were dressing like lazy but they were just dressing very comfortably and i felt like you know if i came and you know i dropped these button ups it would kind of give people a reason to dress up more you know, and that's kind of what I, I've started seeing happening. And then it can also be like an entry level thing. Maybe people are now being exposed to materials and stuff they didn't necessarily care for before or even know about. And then from there on, 
it it opens their eyes to other brands, you know? So, um, yeah, that's kind of the objective. So almost like sneakers were the gateway drug into all these different cultures and fashion for you. Exactly. Maybe your piece can be the gateway drug into things like luxury. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And it's, it's funny though, because so PLV is actually like the entire ideology behind PLV is uh, subjective luxury. Right. So, um, when you think about like the names of like the collections I'm dropping, right. Um, so one of the names is like paradise is where you are. And it's like this double entendre for like, you can be on vacation, right? And that's your paradise. But you can also be at home, right? And that could be your paradise as well. Like, luxury is something that, like, these big brands and stuff has have thrown at us. And they've made us think there's certain things that you have to associate with luxury. But luxury is actually truly subjective. Like, the feeling I get when I wake up in the morning and I can stretch and go get a smoothie and come to the studio, that is luxurious to me. Right. So it's for you to define. And I feel like us being from Rhode Island and Providence and, you know, a lot of people not necessarily appreciating us yet. That's really a luxury in itself because we're really the best kept secret right now. You know, and I think that, like, for example, like I'm using POV to showcase a lot of things that people, let's say, have not consciously thought of as luxury. But now, you know with POV, they can kind of associate it. So, for example, the Renaissance shirt, how many of us have been going to Waterfire since we were children? Probably never thought much of it, right? But when I dropped the shirt and you see it in that light, now you're like, whoa, this is crazy. And you think about this thing that's essentially been in our backyard for a couple of decades that, you, let's say, you never really thought of that much, but now you're, you're really thinking about, like, wow, we really have access to gondolas <laughs> at any time in season, right? That like not everybody could say that. So not, not every city's got a river running exactly, in the middle of it. Exactly, right? So it's, it's these things that you're able to define the luxury for yourself in it. And that's all I'm trying to do here. A clear desire makes a clear story. Albert's movie-like moment in a nightclub, which later led to the creation of his brand, is an interesting one. It showed him the importance of knowing your brand's story and what your brand stands for. But what I think is equally important is that this story highlights the need to have clarity in your desire. What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish? The first step to creating your brand's story, to know what your brand actually stands for, is to be clear about what you want. When you have the self-awareness and the honesty to communicate your desire, then the story and values behind your brand will become clear. So I was going to ask this question later, but, you know, you already answered how you define luxury. So yeah. I want to ask a sub-question to that. Yeah. Actually, I got two sub-questions to that. One, um, start with this one. Do you think luxury and high price are always, are always or should be intrinsically tied to each other? Because I've bought stuff that's expensive that yeah. wasn't luxury at all. Exactly. And then there's some stuff that like is luxury from like it's very high quality 
but because it's not from a certain brand or a certain house, people wouldn't define associate that as luxury or associate that. Yeah. So do you think that that, that pricing and like the way things are priced kind of messes with the definition sometimes? I a hundred percent do. Um, and it's, it's another thing about like, we had this discussion earlier about like names, like people would associate, for example, like there's a lot of like brands that have blown up in the recent years that like, they're just expensive, but like at the end of the day, it's just a graphic tee, like a, a screen printed, like simple graphic tee is nothing. And like, even, and even the blank may not be of high quality, exactly. but, they'll, but they'll charge out the, you know, out the end for 600. It. Yeah. Because like celebrities, A-listers wear it. So it's like, I hate that luxury is sometimes associated with price, but at the same time, when you look at it from like a niche perspective, let's like one of my friends, Anthony is really into furniture, right? So he'll, <laughs> he'll show me these like three, $4,000, like mini like Japanese couches. And he's like going crazy over it. I'm like, bro, like I don't get the hype, but I love seeing how happy you get over this thing. Right. So I think it's one of those things where it's like a double edged sword, right? Like, there are some things that are super overpriced, but at the same time, there are things that are priced because of the process, right? The And we're going to get into that in a bit, yeah. too. So, like, like certain designers, like, they hand quill or hand make everything. It's one of ones, essentially, right? So, the time, like, a lot of things go into price, right? Let's say the access, the demand, the time, the brand itself, the way they market it. Um, but there definitely are things that are overpriced, but... Again, like I said, there are some things that deserve to be priced that way. But me coming up as a young designer, I was trying to, like, learn how do I associate my brand with luxury, right? Do I charge these people around me out the a-hole? I was like, that doesn't really make sense because me being someone that appreciates both sides, I hold the vintage items in my closet that I've thrifted or bought from Curate at the same level as some of my favorite designer pieces. You know, so it's like it has to be something more than just the price. It's either the quality or it's the process or it's the design. Or the story behind the piece. Or the story behind the piece. Exactly. So I think um, to answer your question with one like simple line. Yeah, it sucks when when brands take advantage of, you know, their name and they charge excessively. But it's also beautiful when brands can... (laughs) use their name to charge because of let's like you rightly said the story behind the piece or how much time it took or you know the design like if it's a really dope intricate design charge whatever you want because at the end of the day like there's there's levels to this in fashion right so what you can appreciate something and leave it at that you don't have to buy everything you like you know if it's and i don't know it's it's tough with fashion like it's one of those things where it's like it's kind of for everybody, but it's kind of not for everybody. But that's what every, that's what every, uh, vice, you know, like some people appreciate things to another level and they're willing to spend a lot more on it as opposed to the average person. But just for me personally, like I, I price, I feel like I price things at a point where you're going to appreciate them because it's not super cheap. Right. But at the same time, it's more affordable than some of the brands it would be next to on racks. If that's a good way to answer it. So this leads to two more interesting questions I have yeah. before we get into like the process-based stuff yeah. or or the more um, tactical operational stuff. Yeah. Could you define, because your brand on the about page, it states that it's ready to wear luxury. 
Um, and you, you know, you were talking about when it comes to pricing, sometimes some of these designers are doing like one of ones, which yeah. would be more couture if I'm, if yes. I'm using the term correctly. Yes. Um, can you define what couture is? Can you define what ready to wear is? And then can you, def- can you answer why you went more ready to wear route rather than the couture route? Yeah. Well, so first of all, couture, um, with a lot of brands, a lot of that stuff is, is more so couture and fashion is actually, I don't want to say like it's a fundraiser, but like you don't really make any money from the couture. Like those, it's, it's a loss leader at a lot yeah, of fashion houses. Yeah. They make money on the smaller accessories yeah. and things where this, the couture gets the notoriety on the yeah. runway, you but spend, that's more like, it's like promotional. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You spend all this money to do this show but you're not necessarily making any of it back. Um, and there's so many, like, rules for you to qualify to even do a couture show. It's it's so weird, but <laughs> that's, a, that's a whole different... Uh, whole different tangent. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of politics in fashion. People don't even know. Um, like, LVMH and... Oh, wait, actually, let me... I'm not trying to get sued here. But <laughs> LVMH. Feel free. <laughs> I don't know if we want to mess with the. I'm gonna guys. I'm gonna grab a Louis Vuitton shirt. I'm gonna sort of grab all these high end shirts and just bright you. and bad paint. Please sue me. Whatever. Nah, Bernard scares me. I don't think I want to mess with Bernard. But y'all, <laughs> hey, hey, I'm I'm just I'm just I'm Bernard. Just if you somehow hear this, don't don't sue out, but sue me. <laughs> I, again, I need the we're headlines. Ma- we're making the Sue Jason merch. I'm telling <laughs> we, you, we really are. We're just gonna grab vintage LV and Rick Owens pieces yeah. and we're just going to paint with like crank markers. Yeah. <laughs> Please sue me. <laughs> but yeah, no. Um, yeah. The reason why I went more ready to wear as opposed to couture is simply like, I don't wear couture, you know, nobody around me wears couture. So it just wouldn't make sense. Like I have like, like I have like runway pieces in my closet, but that's a lot different from couture, you know, like those aren't things that you're wearing every day. So that wouldn't be defined as ready to wear. No, not not even remotely close. Like if you look at like Comme des Garcons, like couture and stuff, like you can't wear those pieces anywhere except for like Met Gala or something. But know? to be fair, Com is like such a huge thing where I feel like I don't think people realize that there's like seven or like seven to ten sub labels and probably yes. more in its history. People are probably like there's like CDG Sure, and yeah. then there's like home, you yeah. know CDG Man, and Play. then there's CDG Home, and yeah. then there's Play, and yeah. then there's the CDG shirt line and there was like another sub label which those are ready to wear yeah honestly cdg is probably um in my personal opinion probably one of the best brands of all time like conceptually like down like down to the wire like probably one of the biggest brands of all time too and it's funny though because a lot of people don't like you mentioned like a lot of people don't even really know what comme des garçons is they just recognize play you know because like, the heart logo and yeah, everything. Yeah, so a lot of people don't even know about the brand, but when you really like look into what CDG truly is, it's such a fire brand. It's crazy. That's that's one of my inspirations as well. But um, yeah, so I just decided to go the ready wear route because, like you said, like nobody nobody around me is wearing. Can that. can you give a just a quick definition of what ready to wear is in case somebody's listening um, and just doesn't understand the, yeah, the difference? Yeah. So um, and another thing too. So yeah. I guess I'll put it this way for you. So let's say you're watching, like, let's say uh, Louis Vuitton uh, fashion show, right? Uh, spring, summer, 23. Um, so let's say they do a show of, like, 50 to 100 looks. So the ready-to-wear pieces are the ones that are already in stores, or you could purchase them from the website. And then there's runway pieces. So the runway pieces you could only get at, like, certain, like, boutiques or, like, 
usually the way it works is like if you have like a friend at the brand or like stylists could do polls typically the way it works they'll do polls for like vogue covers or like promotional stuff for like artists um or like actors and things of that nature and then usually they give the clothes back but sometimes you know it gets finessed somewhere in between and you know runway pieces leak but they're very rare right and they're ready to wear like i said it's just the stuff that's on racks like readily available at stores so like stores such as ricardi's as we mentioned earlier maxfield uh Saks fifth uh what's another one bloomingdale's uh yeah so just the stuff that you could like literally walk into the store and purchase is ready to wear um and they those are the pieces that are usually like more consumable right the stuff that like for a lot of these big fashion houses the stuff that like will make them the money so it's like the jeans sweaters hoodies t-shirts uh accessories are included bags are included um so yeah usually not anything too conceptual just like uh simple pieces what, what do you think i i'd say that's about it i would say that, that's i would i would say that's a pretty good definition yeah. um my last question before we get into the tactical stuff is something yeah. you touched upon earlier. And we were talking about this before we even recorded the episode. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to reference um, a couple of different episodes. Usually I do this for shameless self-promotion reasons, yeah. but but this is actually to, to, to give this question some context. So this, you know, you mentioned Providence being the best kept secret right now. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because I remember on the Gibran episode, Gibran said, you know, we, and by we as in Providence, and I would say ex- extend that out to Rhode Island as well, but I'm um, really focusing on the city. Providence has always been here. It's always had creatives doing great work. Yes. Um, et cetera. Yes. And then you had um, Jane Sabrina of Stay Silent yeah. recently, and then, you know, they've said similar things on the episode I had, but they, they were on another podcast and my apologies to whoever runs that podcast. I'm just, I'm blanking on the yeah, name right uh, now. Rayo's is a smooth podcast. Thank you. Okay. Yep. I was, I was trying to remember the name and it Great wasn't guy. coming to me. So thank yeah. you for that. Yeah. Uh, they mentioned on that podcast, um, and similar sentiment as my, on mine as well, that this idea of being humble from a city perspective where it's like, we don't need to be humble anymore. Mm. Um, you know, it's not like, you know, these other cities like in New York, like in Boston, mm-hmm. it's not like, hey, we're stepping to big brother or this idea of big brother, little brother, big yeah. sister, little sister type thing. Yeah. We're not stepping to big brother, big sister out of disrespect. It's that, you know, um, and Sabrina, sorry if I'm paraphrasing you incorrectly here. It's not out of disrespect. It's like we're at the top of our game right now. Yeah. No, we're uh, killing it. Um. And I would I would say that that is that is a correct statement, but there's a weird double edged sword there because I feel like me personally, we're at the top of our game on this level. But I feel like like there's another top we have to get to if that makes any sense. Like yeah. I, I feel like we're just getting started as far as oh definitely like you know what I mean. Like we're not even near like we're at the top of this current station, but I feel like there's a whole other like top that like we're we're just start like things are just getting started. I yeah. guess. Um, in a good way. Like I get the top of the game comment. So, um, but I feel like it's like top of the game in one way, but like things are just starting in the sense of like almost moving into like like all right now like like hey we hit these goals yeah so now now, now now what's next yeah um what you know it seems like there's this certain type of feeling and and as somebody I'm gonna date myself here I'm in my mid thirties <laughs> so somebody who's been around Providence for a minute. 
I've seen the change. Mm-hmm. And again, I agree with Jabron that, you know, I, I agree with both of these sentiments at the same time. I agree with Jabron that we've always had creatives killing it and doing doing great work. Mm-hmm. But I also agree with the, you know, uh, Sabrina's, uh, Jay and Sabrina's sentiment of being, Providence being at the top of their game right now. And I agree with your sentiment at, at the same time. So it's almost seems like these three opinions are competing, but I don't think they are yeah. of being the best kept secret. Yeah. What what do you think has been contributing? Because it seems like, like and I can't. I, I'm having a hard time defining it. I've lived in the city for most, you know, pretty much all my life. Yeah. There's a different type of feeling now. Yeah. There's just a different the type of feeling. Is, There's a different type of energy. What, yeah. what do you think has led to that? And what what do you think has led to that? And what do you think makes Providence stand out as a city? Well, so I think first of all, the most important thing is where the strength in numbers right now is crazy, right? So when you think about like different in- industries that we're dominating in right now. So we were talking uh, prior to the podcast, I was telling him about my friend Wongo, shout out to Where's Wongo on everything. Um, For example, he's a writer, right? And he's the first person I've ever seen like take writing to the magnitude that he's taking it right now, right? He, he, like, he was part of Two Dope Boys. He currently writes for Up Rocks. Like, he's interviewed like so many people. He, he's done a cover story, right? So when you think about something of that nature, he's super up in the industry, right? And when when people ask him where he's from, he's from Providence, right? So that's one example. Then we have Jane Sabrina have this um this this company that, you know, they have their own venue. They run monthly installments, right? But not only the parties, but people you're you're wearing a PVD shirt right now, right? So people and I, and I got the PVD hat. Exactly. So they're also dominating in the merchandise field, right? And then also they're running this festival that's probably the no, it is the biggest festival in New England. And they do it biannually. Right? If Jay and Sabrina hear this, can you make holiday trail? Can you make a winter version? That would be crazy, but where would they put it? Either a skating rink or Yagu Valley. Or you do it at the um the Met. What is, the, Yahoo, what is Yahoo Valley? Um, it's like a a very tiny ski resort. But Ooh. for skiing, it's not great. But for a party, it would be great. But how would that work? We're I, not partying outdoors, right? I mean, maybe you just get a bunch of heat lamps. It'd be it'd be kind of like that naughty by nature video where there's like people snowboarding and everybody was like partying outside in really crazy down jackets. So from a, I'm hoping that's from a, a from a logistics video. point though. Is this possible? Like, are we able to party outside in the winter? Like, how does this work? You get really, really listen. Other ski resorts, I've seen this happen, like yeah. up in like way colder temperatures, and people. I think if if you if you just be like, there's gonna be music and alcohol, but bundle up. I think people would make the trek. So if you just think, just 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 my yeah, own yeah, two cents. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably thinking too hard about it. But I'm just thinking about like, imagine someone pulls up in this super like warm down feather jacket, right? But you know, alcohol warms your body, so it's just gonna be a, a bunch of really warm, sweaty people. <laughs> And then they're going to all get hypothermia because they're going to take their jackets off, but it's still cold outside. Or you do the water fire gala idea. Um, you know, oh, yeah. The, yeah indoor, the, the, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or or you do it indoor if the lodge of an area, which Yagu wouldn't be, but if the lodge of a ski resort is big enough, because some mm. of those places do have event spaces, you do it For there. a festival, though, because their numbers are like, what? Yeah. They do like 3,000 people, 3,500, 4,500. Water fire building would probably be... Actually, that'd be cool. That, anyway, yeah. Hey, all right, we do got, holiday trail. Yeah, we got a super off track. <laughs> that was a great off track, though. But yeah, I think right now, I think we're just running it in so many different industries that, like, it's undeniable, right? Like, people are just like, I don't know. Like, I think that's a simple way to put it. Like, there's just so many industries that people are, are killing it in. And then, you know, people are finding out that we're from this place, Providence, and they look up and they see what's going on in Providence where people either visit they come here and then, you know, it's just undeniable. Everybody I know that comes to Providence never leaves. 
you know, or they never want to leave. They come down here. The only thing that I've got complaints about. That like, sounds like a horror movie, actually. <laughs> and I like mean, we, we I come mean, we, and we suck them in and they stay here. No, I mean, we, we do have, we do have, what is it? Um, Not Edgar Allan Poe. I think he, he does have some weird connection to promise, but no. Mm-hmm. Um, oh God, what the hell is that author's name now and it's coming to me now hp lovecraft who's a famous horror writer mm. has ties to providence never knew that so That's i mean crazy. yeah did you know viola davis was from providence yeah she went to yeah she went to like high school here, yeah she uh she went to central falls high school oh, it's crazy she did some crazy cover story she actually put central falls in the caption i was like this is incredible like people don't understand how significant that is man but yeah like <laughs> before like you know we had like a couple like athletes and stuff that would make it out right or like we would have like this one random person or like for example like joe perez right he did really well um he does really well in the design industry right but that was like one person i I think we can't discount i think food and drink here okay like food food and like and the bars i think were like one of the first not to say that not not, well not to say that they they were the ones that kickstart everything but i think it was one of the first like communities where like at least at least from my perspective and yeah. and feel and anybody listening to this feel free to disagree with me at least from my perspective where it was like the food and the drink scene became so strong and everybody was like starting to root for everybody mm. that it became like undeniable like when you're getting like uh, like when you're when you're a bartender here and then you move on and you literally end up becoming the head bartender at what that year was considered the best bar in the world Ooh. um that's that's saying something okay um, that sounds very specific so this actually happened yeah it was uh it was one of the bartenders at the dorance when the uh, rest piece to the dorance yes uh when the dorance had and they had an all-star menu basically mm. it was like anybody who had come through the dorance that was a head bartender they recreated their drinks for for that week or something so oh. like there was like four cocktails but one of the cocktails was done by and i'm blanking on the gentleman's name right now i'm horrible with names but yeah. Basically, one of the cocktails, they had the gentleman's name, and then it had what bar that that person is at now, if they're still bartending. And that person was, I think it was at Dead Rabbit in New York. And, and that's that, the biggest. And that year, because it gets, it, there's a vote every year, but that yeah. year was, it was voted as the best bar in the world. In so the, world the fact that, like, the head bartender of the best bartender is a guy who, you know, Kate got their Providence. start at the Dorrance in Providence. Mm. So, do, so, this leads me to asking you a question, right? Okay. So do you think that Providence is that place where, like you, like you just said, people get their start? Is that what we're always going to be? I was actually just about to ask you that same question <laughs> and get your opinion on yeah. it. Because that's the, oh, I'm wondering, it, it makes me wonder. It seems like that's our MO. Are we going to, are we going to stay? Because yeah, like there are certain people who do stay and we, you know, we have, institutions like round school design yeah. we have culinary institutions like johnson johnson and wales are attracting Very really well good really now. good talent yeah. and then it's easier to start something here than it is in a boston or new york because of like real estate prices yeah. and things like that that might be changing soon because we got a lot of people from boston new york coming in now yeah, guys please um, stay where you are man. So, you don't want to move here so please there's <laughs> so there's this idea of almost it's like um like providence at least that i've noticed more so in the food and drink and not with music and fashion, thankfully, yeah. but that, but who knows that may change um, for, for the better or worse, depending on, you know, who, who knows what the future is going to hold. Um, I hopefully it makes people stay, but the thing I noticed with food and drink is that a lot of people, it was almost like a paw socks to red socks. We don't even have the paw mm. socks anymore or yeah. Providence Bruins to Boston Bruins, where mm. it's like, like Providence was the farm team 
and then you move on to the majors. Yeah. Even though like the farm team was doing better than the major, the major league counterpart. League, yeah. Now again, I only saw that with food and drink. I would not put that with music design or fashion. Yeah. But yeah. is that but is that going to be the problem in the future? Uh. Like are we going to get so well known that like these new these these higher end brands like you were talking about on a winter coming. Yeah. What happens if if we you know it's the double edged sword of like success right? Like what happens if we do get that notoriety? Yeah. But then on a winter or like or or, or, or Bernard if you listen yeah. to this again sue me but hire 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 Albert. Um, <laughs> Like, what if they want to hire you, and then they're pulling you out of profit, and, yeah. and it's, it's a, a brain drain, a talent drain. Thought, but that would be so beautiful because it'd be you a know good what problem. I could, you know what I could it'd bring? Be a good problem yeah, because I was gonna say, if I get that type of um, like leverage, if I get hired at LV or some big company, I'm bringing all my friends. You yeah, know? you're you're bringing the people who exactly. who help get you and, to, get you to the dance, basically. Yeah, and that's that's um that's what's gonna put the city on. I think that's the difference now is that before, like we always had people like Jabron said, we always had people killing it in the industry, but like it was just one person. They didn't have like that leverage to bring an entire team. Whereas like now, like I'm seeing like for example, my friend Elijah. Shout out to him. He's uh I don't know if this is public information, so we might have to i don't know what we're gonna do with this part but so he's actually kenny may actually not okay yeah just scratch everything i said so shout out to my friend never, never mind yeah shout out to my friend elijah he's uh kenny mason's uh manager right so and kenny mason's like killing it right now as a musician so and elijah actually started with joe perez he was one of the designers in at his company um and then he went on to do his own thing i remember like when i started to see him like really break out like, he does, like, a bunch of, like, merch and, like, creative direction for, like, all types of artists. Like, the list is long. Uh, Young Nudie, Cousin Stiz. It goes on. Like, any, probably anyone you can name, right? But I'm seeing him, and he's putting people in position. I'll see him, like, call on some of my other friends, ask them to do this, ask them to style this, ask them to do it. Like, he's even reached out to me, like, yo, bro, you have any pieces for me? Like, you go, like, we're going on tour. I would love if he would wore if he wore this piece at the show, you know. So it's just like we're in position now where we can bring people with us because we're getting leverage. Whereas I felt like before maybe we didn't have that, right? But now like there's so many people making in these different industries that we're able to like is I went to a Spotify panel and um one important thing, I'm sorry, I don't remember the woman's name that was speaking, but um she works at Spotify. This was years ago when I was in college. I actually went with uh, Where's Nasty. I believe he was on the panel, if I'm not mistaken. Or Sabrina was on the on the panel. But um, uh, I lost my train of thought. So I, she was talking about horizontal networking, right? And I always thought about this. Like, when we look in the industry and we think about, like, like for example, like in rap, right? These rap groups. Uh, like, for example, like ASAP Mob, right? Not everyone at ASAP Mob was a rapper, but everybody played a role. And I think we're starting to get in that position where it's like, okay, David Duke made it to the league, right? And then I also see FaZe, which is a brand that's very well known in Providence, and they're actually related, right? But if you don't know that, you see David wearing a lot of FaZe. And people that obviously aren't from Providence are going to look into the brand because they see him wearing it every day, right? So it's just one of those things where it's like, we're... Like, a lot of shadow work is being done, right? Let's say my friend works in the music industry. For example, back to Elijah. He works in the music industry, and he's doing a music video for, let's say, some big artist, right? And they they need a stylist. The Probably one of the first people he's going to think of are his friends, as long as they do good work, right? And that's how people get put on. 
So I think that's just what it is. Like, there's more opportunities There's because there's just a lot more of us killing it right now. And I think a lot more of us having leverage to actually put people in position. I think that's what it is. Like, yeah. So now getting into the tactical, I want to talk about a particular piece because yeah. I remember this from the from the pop-up. Yes, sir. Um, and, you know, staying on this, this, this is actually a planned transition. Usually I don't plan the transitions. That's one yeah. I kind of planned. Smooth. Um. The the water fire piece, because yes, you were talking sir. about water fire. So the water yeah. fire button up. Can you talk about what led to the creation of that piece? What inspired you to do it? And also, was that part of a collection with the bigger message? Or did that stand out as a singular piece and you designed the collection around that? All right, great question. Um, So I'll actually answer that backwards. So yes. So this was, um, I actually mentioned this earlier. So there was this collection I wanted to do called Paradise is Where You Are. And it was actually, you know, again, a double entendre. So I made that shirt to be like a vacation shirt, but also represent Providence. So it was one of those things where it's like paradise is where you are because we have this super luxurious thing in our backyard that maybe a lot of us took for granted. Whereas like a lot of people in other cities, like when they visit Providence, if they know about it, that's something they go and do. Right. So I just feel like and when you think about, you know, on like a bigger scale, I, I get, like, a lot of, like, vintage references. Like, I listen to, like, a lot of old school music and I, like, just read a lot of, like, old magazines and, like, look at old posters and stuff. And you always, you see these images of the gondoliers, right? You see these images and they're always associated with this, like, like vacation or, like, it's just super luxurious and just something that, you know, you see in movies and stuff, right? But like I said, like, a lot of us like, have... Literally, Gondo's, like, I would think more like a Bond movie in yeah. some, like, you know, yeah. some, like, small town or city, yeah. like, in, in, like, halfway across the world. Yeah. Like, you wouldn't think it'd in be in Italy, a New England city. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, it's just something that I really wanted to shine light to. And I had this idea for this collection um, that I mentioned, the Paradise is Where You Are collection, um, that I just wanted to highlight different places in Providence. But... I realized that at the time I didn't have the resources or the time to make the entire collection. So I decided to just uh, roll out these couple of shirts and then have that be the, the staple piece that we're going to kind of like form the collection around. You so, know? so would you say that the gond- the Providence gondola shirt is like the crown jewel? Oh, for sure. That I, I feel like that shirt and that rollout like propelled me like like extremely. Right. And. That's good and bad because um, the good part is it exposed a lot of people to brand. And after that, like, I sold a bunch of old products because the gondola shirt, like, I sold out and I just, I decided it was one of those things where I didn't want to make anymore, you know, just to have it be like a gem. Like, hey, if you're here and you were at that pop-up when PLV first started and you could look back five years from now, like, hey, I have, like, his first, like, shirt that really blew up, you know, because, like, that shirt, like, did crazy numbers the the reel we posted got like 20k views it got um on a magazine a, a well-renowned fashion magazine outlander mag shout out to them um i was talking to the owner and he, he posted the shirt so that was really cool um so we did really well with that shirt and i wore that shirt at fashion week actually and like went crazy like i was just at this kid super event and like and kid super is actually one of my inspirations i was able to speak to him so that was really great and inspiring um, but I was in the room and people kept complimenting my outfit, complimenting my shirt. And I was like, hey, I made this shirt. And like from like that was cool. I made a bunch of connections off of that. So, um, but yeah, it's just one of those things where I just like I told you, like this idea of subjective luxury, like 
just associating like this crazy piece with Providence. Like, think about it. Like, if I get this piece on celebrities or you see it styled in like a magazine or something, whether the person realize it or not, they're representing Providence. So let's use the the this Providence piece, this gondola shirt as yeah. an example. Can you walk me through every step step of the process? Like, because I know it's it's like one of the things I've noticed. It's like the print is like the entire front of the shirt, whereas yeah. usually it's not just like here's a color yeah. with like a little design. Like the design is like the, the entire, entire front of the shirt. Yeah. So can you walk through just like I have an like like hey here's how I got the idea and then walked and then like here's how I designed it and drew it or maybe yeah. you, maybe you contracted that the drawing out to somebody else. Um. Then it's like, okay, find a manufacturer. How do you choose the manufacturer? What details you had to give them? Yep. How did you get the pattern made? Can you like walk through just step by step and really yeah. break it down? Great question. All right. So the first step is always, you know, obviously the idea. Um, so, excuse me, sorry. So the way my design process works is that I will have an idea, right? And then you see, like right now I have all these sketch pads in front of me. So I have an idea. I'll sketch out what I'm seeing in my head. It's weird how to explain. I'm sure like people in any uh, realm of creativity, whether it's drawing, music, DJing, I'm sure you can relate. Like, is, do you have moments where like you're, you're like, you want to hear these two songs blended and you hear the blend in your head before you do it? That's every five seconds and sometimes it gets frustrating. Oh like, my like, gosh. Where I want okay. to stop. Yeah, I thought it was just me, right? Because, no, no like, it's not just you. Because I can literally close my, like I can think of an idea, close my eyes and see it. It's so crazy. So like I'll I'll open my notes and I'll just jot down like words. Like even if I can't formulate sentences, just jot down like key words. So when I sit down and I build on the idea, I know exactly what I was thinking. Or I always carry like a lot of notepads with me. Like I have so many, like sometimes I got to look through them and like patch the ideas together because I'll get an idea right here and then write it there. Like I keep some at work. I keep some in my backpack, some in the car. Like that's how active like my mind is all the time. So um, when I first get an idea, I'll sketch it out what I what I feel I want it to look like. Then I'll I'll write ideas, so I'll physically write like a description of the shirt, right? And then from there, I go and look at references because I feel like that's one of the best ways to really um you know narrow down what exactly you're trying to make here. So once I have the references, once I have the sketch, then most times I'll try to pick colors. Um, the way I usually pick colors, honestly, I don't know if this is cliche or not, probably not, but the, just the way I think like all my color palettes come from nature. So like, instead of like looking up like complimentary colors and stuff, I'll just look at things that I've seen outside that inspire me, you know? Cause I think, you know, when things were created, like a lot of times, like, you know, the man-made things, obviously somebody like purposely put those colors there, but like, if you see like a bird fly by and you see the way the colors blend or like if you look at a river or you look at the ocean all that is natural you know so I'll, I'll look at nature as my inspiration for colors um especially if it's a piece that like this one is based on something we see outside um so i'll do that i already have a manufacturer um so the way i found my manufacturers um, and if anybody listening to this needs a manufacturer please dm me um i actually have a directory that i made I got it from, I did a lot of research when I was in college looking for manufacturers. So on the CFDA website, they probably took it down, but at this time, I, I believe it was 2016, they had uh, a directory of every um, uh, domestic manufacturer they have like listed or that's associated with them. So I just downloaded that and then I added some others. 
So if anybody needs that, please contact me. Um, I can't promise that, you know, this, this list is, like I said, from 2016. So I can't promise that all of them are still in business, but, um, there was actually one of them that one of my friends was using. So they, they could still be in business, but please reach out. So, yeah, but my manufacturer is actually overseas. So I'll then contact my manufacturer. I'll send them the idea. I'll ask them if it's possible, which is a funny question because like, what am I going to do if they say no? Probably cry. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I hate getting turned down and we'll probably uh, talk about that next. But yeah, so I'll, I'll see if the idea is possible. Then we'll talk materials. Right. So um, the way my materials process usually works is, again, with references. So after I get the design reference, I look at. Oh, quick, quick question yeah. about the manufacturing thing, because um, I think this is something that's good to note that maybe not everybody realized. So you like, you ask them if something is possible. Yeah. Does your is every manufacturer different as to what they require before they can even like produce a piece? Meaning like, do you have to send them certain types of files? Is there certain types of like like guidelines that they give you like, Hey, you need to send us like a tech pack yeah. or like, you need to send us this before we can even tell you that yeah. we're going to turn the machines on for yeah, you. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I haven't had the experience of having to send a tech pack every time or, or a pattern. Or yeah. Whatever yeah. Yeah. Doing. So there are definitely manufacturers that are like more demanding in that sense. Like I know of some manufacturers where if you don't send them a tech pack outlining everything, like they're, there's no room for guessing with some of these manufacturers. I was going to say like, it, like, like, they must want every little detail. Every, every little detail, like down to like all the placement of things. Whereas like with my manufacturer, we've obviously, you know, done a lot of pieces together. So I kind of have the leisure. I mean, the luxury of like kind of freestyling. Like I'll sketch and like, you know, I'll draw arrows like, oh, I want this to go here. I want this to go here. Like I've even sent them sketches and they'll make the, the tech, uh, they'll mock it, they'll mock it up or make the tech pack for me. Do they charge extra for that? Um, I don't even, honestly, I don't get automized receipts from them, which I probably oh, okay. should. I honestly, I probably should, um, when, you know, for, for business purposes, but I just get charged the price and I just pay it. Honestly. Is that rare for a manufacturer is like, and is, yeah. is and as far as like, be, like being willing to like kind of be flexible and work with you and like, Hey, yes. like, and okay. So manufacturers are hard. Like, I was also going to say, I failed a lot with manufacturers. Was that the deciding factor to choose the manufacturer that you're still working with now? Yeah. And was there other factors that went into like, I'm going to choose this manufacturer over this other one? Yeah. So, um, to answer that question, the reason why I stuck with my manufacturer is because when I first did the, the midnight road silk, um, shirt, which, you know, has my logo on it. I was really happy with the turnaround time. Um, I remember getting the sample. Can you also explain what turnaround time is? Yes. So tur- yeah. Know? So turnaround time is essentially, um, once, you know, it's in their hands, how, how fast they get the product to you. So like it's they approve, they approve the design. There's no more questions about exactly. like, we, we have everything we need to make the thing. Exactly. Now we're going to start making the thing. Yeah. So okay. if you get like verbal confirmation on Monday that, okay, you know, so obviously there's a process. You got to go back and forth a few times, you know, straighten out details. So once everything is, is green lighted, so let's say, let's say it's today, Friday, November 11th, right? And they can give you a guarantee that they will have the piece for you. Like I'm including delivery and everything. They'll have it for you by, let's say, Black Friday, which is November 26th uh, this year, right? So that would be, let's say, a two-week turnaround time, exact. And is that turnaround time include shipping or do some places go, this is the turnaround time, we'll have it done, but then we're gonna, it's going to take X amount of time to ship to you? No, nah, turnaround time has to include shipping. Okay. Because that's a determinant, a determining factor of when you're going to drop it. Right. right. So um, I, actually, the re- I actually had to move the pop-up back 
um, because they didn't get the piece to me. And that's the thing, like, there's flaws with every manufacturer, right? So, and it's, you know, we're all human at the end of the day. So, you know, I try to give a lot of grace, but so I had paid for everything, including shipping. I think like a couple weeks before the, the pop-up, he was telling me he was going to be here at a certain time, a certain date. And I just wasn't like, I, I was out of town for a work trip, but like, I wasn't getting any updates. Like, I didn't know that the package wasn't shipped or anything. Like, I, I was getting no updates. I didn't even have, have a tracking number yet. Right. So I was getting really frustrated. So I contacted my manufacturer and he told me like, hey, listen, I'm sorry. I just sent it out today. So I was expecting this thing to be here at this certain time. And I, I believe I paid for expedited shipping. And, um, yeah, it just wasn't here. So I had to put the pop, had to push the pop up back, uh, like real last minute. But thankfully, um, my, my CEO at La Gondola, shout out to him, a great person. I'm so great, uh, grateful that, you know, we we're able to make this pop up happen. And we'll go into the logistics of that later as well. Um, but yeah, so, you know, hiccups happen. Like I'll receive product and like the sizing will be off in regards of like, let's say I order like 10 of this shirt. Ordered, let's say I ordered 10 of every shirt, like small through 2XL, right? Sometimes I'll get nine of a small and I'll get 12 of a medium. And it's like, like how, how does this happen, right? So, but like I said, we're all human. But at the end of the day, you have to be so clear with communication, especially if they're overseas. Um, Which I'm guessing is that why some of like the bigger like manufacturing is tough because they're so strict, but it's because it's costing them money to make things and it's yeah. costing you time if it's wrong. Yeah. So it's like the more details you have in there, yeah, the, the less better. of a chance of an error. Yeah. Cause the thing is like, I'm not sure how it works with other people with their manufacturers, but for me, like I'm sure this probably is the same across the board, but for me, like let's say I send you a sample or let's say I, I receive a sample of something and it's wrong. I still have to pay for the next one to be made. It's not like manufacturers are like, oh, okay, sorry. We'll make you a free sample. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, my bad. <laughs> and they'll just do it again. Like, no, like, technically the sample is supposed to be a trial and error. So if you got to do one, you got to do two, you got to do five, you got to do ten, you're paying for every single one. And people don't understand how expensive sampling is. Well, especially if you're doing something that's not, a, you know, your a standard t-shirt, t-shirt yeah. or standard hoodie or something like that. He's cutting so sample. Like, that's why, like, people will see me, like, I'm this jacket is dropping in the spring. And this is this is a this is a sample of mine, and I wear this jacket like every day. But it's because I paid for it. It was super expensive. Of course, I'm like it's like it's like buying like paying for samples is essentially going shopping without like subcon like without consciously planning to go shopping. If that makes sense, like you know, like if you wake up and you're like, hey, I want a new pair of shoes. I'm willing to go spend three hundred today. But sampling is a necessity, so I have to spend that three hundred dollars whether I like it or not. Right. So um, that process. It's tough, but, you know, it's always worth it. Like, the feeling when you get the sample and it's everything you want it to be is unmatched, right? So going from the going from ideation to sample to just pro- production is, like, one of the best processes and it's so fulfilling, right? So um, after that long spill, yeah. So, <laughs> so that step is manufacturing. So I send them everything. And just uh, just uh, before we move away from that, yeah. um, is there any other key points that you would maybe give advice to people on on like hey here are the things you should look at for a manufacturer like if they're just evaluating manufacturers like yeah. besides like willingness to work with you if like unless somebody's super detail oriented yeah. maybe they like doing that kind of stuff and they, yeah. they they're like neurotic but you know is there any other besides like willingness to work with somebody is there any other factors that you would say like evaluate and look out for when choosing a manufacturer for them 
Yeah, so in my own experience, um, when I was choosing my manufacturer, I, like, you know, I was new to it, so I didn't really have, like, these defining factors. I just took what I could get. Gotcha. And and that's why I kind of, like, it's been a trial and everything for me, right? But for someone that's, you know, more experienced or someone that works in the industry, let's say, you're, like, for example, my friend Kirby of Changebirds, he's a, he's a designer at Puma, right? Or uh, Drew... Uh, the head designer at Bodega, right? So their experience with, with manufacturers is probably a lot more uh, strict and demanding than mine is, right? So, like, for me, it's more so like, okay, can you make these products for me? Like, how good are you at making these products? Do, do you, like, get sizing correct? Like, you know, like, simple things of that nature. And then what I really like about my manufacturer, well, okay, so to answer your question, I guess I'll put it like this. If you have a manufacturer that could kind of make your job easier, that's the best position to be in, right? So, for example, like my manufacturer, they do my packaging for me. They do the hang tags. They obviously sold the tags in, right? So you want to have a manufacturer that you're paying them for these services and they're giving you the best possible product they can, right? So, you know, it's handled with care from start to finish. They send you pictures and stuff, give you updates along the way. Um, But, yeah, I mean, generally just... Manufacturers also, I, I see you're about to ask a question, but yeah, yeah. one last note, uh, manufacturers is also dependent, like certain manufacturers are, are better at things than others, right? So if you're looking for a manufacturer that specifically specializes in, let's say, sportswear, right? So if you own a sports team and you want to get jerseys and stuff made, there's manufacturers that specialize in that. Whereas if you if you want someone to do dresses, there's someone that specializes in that. I don't think there's really manufacturers that are like, one does all. Yeah, well, there's no yeah, one stop. Like, I don't think I could go get a leather bag made at my manufacturer, right? So I think the key is to have different people that do different things. So uh, all in all, I guess the overarching answer would be look at a manufacturer that specializes specifically in what it is that you want to do. Were there any parts in the process that surprised you in the sense of, like, you're talking about, like, hey, with samples, like, you got to pay for each one yeah. or, um, like, oh, hey, I got to think about, like, hang tags, and yeah. I got to think about packaging, yeah. and I got to think about getting the labels sewn in and all that stuff. Was there any parts that, like, surprised you or, like, or things that the manufacturer introduced or asked you that you didn't expect in your whole process from idea to finished product? Yeah, so I think one of the toughest things I've dealt with is minimums. And this also... Okay. Yeah, this also um happens with certain uh, materials, right? So sometimes with... Like, for example, I wanted to do a mohair sweater, and they said I couldn't do it because I needed, like, 3,000 minimum. And I'm like, that is insane. Who the freak is ordering 3,000 sweaters? But, I mean, they probably have bigger brands on their, um, you know, in their client in their clientele. So there are some people that can afford to do 3,000 sweaters. I can't, but I just never saw that as a restriction because— if you could go to the store and pick up this material and fabric for me, why can't you get that one? But I don't know how it works. You know, he doesn't give me much behind the scenes, but he literally told me, like, like I'll ask him about certain things, and he'll say, no, we can't do it. It has to be X amount. Now, while there are many sole proprietorships out there, at some point, you will realize you can't do absolutely every single little thing on your own. So picking the right partners to work with 
becomes essential. Albert had the self-awareness to know that he needed a manufacturer that could help guide him to bring his luxury pieces to fruition. What is equally noteworthy is that Albert found a manufacturer that was willing to work with someone that didn't necessarily have every I dotted and every T crossed. Albert chose a partner that would work with him at his level, and you should do the same. It may involve some trial and error. You may outgrow them. You may need to switch based on your current needs. You may need to work with one or an entire network. But at the end of the day, like the saying goes, it takes a village to raise a child, and it also takes a village to bring an idea to life. Speaking of minimums, how did you define your sizes? Like, did they define that for you, or did you define, like, hey, these measurements, uh, like, you know, because, like, think about it, like, you have to define what small, medium, large, extra large, et cetera, yeah. means to your brand. And like yeah. a small, like a T, you know, you could have three different T-shirts all labeled small and they're all going to fit differently yeah. depending on the brand they're from. So like, did you define that to the manufacturer? Did your manufacturer work with you on how to, on how to define like, this is the measurements of the small versus yeah. the medium versus the large? So what I did, and it's actually pretty cool. I think we live in an era where there's so many blueprints in front of us where you can just take whatever you need and apply it to yourself. There's templates that you can modify. Exactly. So I didn't necessarily take an online template, but what I did was essentially, um, this is a plug for anybody that's starting a clothing brand. So if you're not aware, if you go on Essence, that's S-S-E-N-S-E, which is a department store in Canada, is a luxury boutique store. Um, I'm sure, is it in Canada? I'm pretty sure it's in Canada. It might not be in Canada. I'm pretty sure it's in Canada. Anyways, I haven't been to Canada, so I don't know. But um, that's one of my favorite like stores to shop from because you know every renowned fashion brand that's on is on there, so it's great. And it's a great um marketplace to like learn new brands. Like there's a running joke online that like they have so many pages that like people just scroll through all of them. So you find yourself on like page 50 and you just found like 15 new brands that you never knew about but they make cool stuff and now you're a fan so that's great but yeah so if you go on essence and you click a piece um you could actually see the size chart i believe some brands are aware of this so they don't put their size chart but if you do or or they bury that information so it's like hard to find exactly but i'm pretty sure essence is the only website where you could get like exact measurements on pieces so um I think if you went on Grilled, you could reverse engineer that because on Grilled, they're they're trying to require people to put measurements in, really? or, they're, or they're or they're encouraging it because they don't want to have people return shit. Yeah. So because I know like I know whenever I put like a piece on Grilled, like they'll ask you me. You can like, return on Grilled, can you? You can under certain circumstances. What? Yeah. It depends. Like like if if somebody what? if somebody fraudulently sent you something, yeah. Then like there's that, but like. Like, yeah, like that and eBay encourage you to list dimensions. So I wonder if like that's another another that. way to reverse engineer it. Just go on Grilled, find a piece from a brand you like and see if somebody listed the measurements. Then it's yeah. like, there you go. But Grilled is hit or miss, though. Because yeah, true, the thing true. Is, yeah, like, for example, it's, like. It's it's also depending on how old it is. But yeah. the Essence one makes sense. So that's yeah. so that's how you got your sizing then. To is, an extent. Is, okay. Essence. So when I first started, I was, obviously I, I didn't have a reference point. So I just looked and I forgot who gave me this advice, but somebody specifically gave me this or I might have heard it in an interview, but they were literally like, like, just look at pieces you've seen, you know, that you actually like and just take those measurements. Right. But the thing is, though, you have to define where you want your brand to fit. I mean, to sit. Right. So if your brand is based on European sizing or Japanese sizing, then you're going to obviously have to 
find brands that sit in that same, you know, that same realm of sizing. Right. So, um, for me, I kind of knew I wanted like a boxy fit for the button ups, but not like super boxy. Like if you've seen like a Prada shirt or like some other brands, like they're essentially like cropped, you know, like a super wide. I was like, I wanted something that falls more naturally. So it kind of gives you a, a elongated look, but at the same time, it is boxy. Like it doesn't fit super snug, uh, snug on the body. It has a little bit of a boxy fit. And then if you look, my um, one of one of the brand identities, which you'll you'll like, you probably haven't thought too much about it, but if you look at all the shirts, the collars are exaggerated. So that's something I did on purpose. Um, it reminds so, me of like almost like a camp shirt. Color. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like I've seen like you know like bowling shirts or like camp shirts but i haven't seen any w- with collars as big as mine and i wanted that to be an identifier for plv um was there anything you had to compromise on was there like hey i want to do these kind of buttons or something or like i want to do this kind of like material that you had to like the manufacturer you know besides the sweater thing like, yeah. the, like even with the pieces you currently have was there anything that you had to like be flexible or or you know the manufacturer telling you like hey you want to do it this way, it's going to cost you this much, but it'll be significantly cheaper if you, like, change this, this one little detail yeah. or something like that. Oh, yeah, that happens all the time. Um, mainly with materials, like I mentioned, materials is definitely a defining factor. Um, my issue with my manufacturer that I have sometimes is that I have an idea for something, and, like, everything will go so great, and then when I get it, it's just not what I wanted. And it's typically in regards of quality, right? So I've realized... My manufacturer does button-ups exceptionally well. Those button-ups are great quality. You know, I love them, right? But in other things, like I tried to make a windbreaker jacket, and it sucked. All due respect to my manufacturer. I got it, and it was awful. Like, I would never wear this. So now you're like, okay, I need to find, like, maybe a sportswear manufacturer. Yeah, somebody that could do this. Yeah. Okay. Because I'm like, yo, this is bad. (laughs) You get me? So it's like. You gotta you gotta pick and choose your battles. I know my manufacturers can do buttons really well, so maybe now I have to look for a manufacturer that could do, like you said, those um, uh, those those uh type of uh, windbreakers, right? Or I'm I'm waiting to see how they do. I or I made a varsity jacket for my friend Israel Wusu, and it was cool, but the leather on the sleeves just wasn't good. So it's like it's one of those things where it's like. I don't. I don't even know how to describe how bad the leather was. Like it was. It was bad. Like it. It almost felt like, like the leather on top of like a like a like a old couch or something. It was. It was awful. Right. So it's like, where is he sourcing these materials from? Right. So it's like, yeah, it's just tough. I think you got to pick and choose your battles with your manufacturer. I think you have to always be super specific with what you want. Um, and always, always send them references. That's another good thing. Like if you could find a a sweater already made, like the design obviously doesn't matter. If you could just, if you want to make a blue, let's say a cashmere blend sweater, find one, Ralph Lauren, Tommy Hilfiger, whoever, find one and send it to them. So they at least know what it looks like. That'll give them an idea when they're going and looking for materials and always ask them if, if you know enough about materials, like I do a lot of research on materials and stuff. I get a lot of swatches. Uh, I subscribe to some company that sends me sw- squat, uh, swatches every month. So I do a lot of like fabrics um, and materials research, um, but it, it gives you the breakdown, right? Like you could see a, 
a pair of sweatpants is 98% uh, polyester, 2% elastane, or like 30%, 38% coal, I mean, uh, cotton, like 2% wool, like whatever. But just understand what these things mean, right? So that when you're explaining the materials to him, you know exactly what to tell him so he could go and find it or he or she, uh, they can go and find it. And if they can't do that material, then they'll let you know rather than them saying they can, you pay for it, you get it, and it's not what you wanted. Just to make your life a little easier, you know? So we're going from the process of, you know, you had the idea, you sketched it out, you yeah. sent it to the manufacturer, you went through the samples, you went through the quality, you went through the back and forth, you waited on the shipping, yeah. you have it in your hand. Yeah. How do you go about pricing it? Because, like, you were saying before how you wanted to price it a certain way that, like, because obviously you wanted to make money. Yeah. Right? You got, and, like, so, like, how do you determine your break even, and how do you go about your pricing? Because also you said, you know, it's, you want it to be luxury, but. Yeah. Bless you. Thank you. You want it to be luxury, but yeah. you don't want it to be so high to the point where, like, nobody, accessible. yeah, it's not accessible yeah. to people. So how do you go, because I think this is an interesting, interesting question for so many creatives. How do you yeah. go about pricing your stuff? So, um, that's a great question. So my first thought process is like, like we mentioned before is value. How do I price it at a point that will not break? Well, at least in my opinion, not break, you know, the, the pockets of people that are interested in the shirt. Right. But how can you also price it where they can, where it can have value. Right. Because I just feel as like, if I price the button up at $50, it might not be appreciated the same way. But also at the same time, when you look at everything that went into making the, the button up, um, so obviously, you know, I don't need or expect a super crazy profit margin on each piece. That's not really, like I would design for free, you know, like this is something I love. So I, I make stuff for myself all the time and never sell it. Like it's something I do. I would do it for free, you know, but at the end of the day, it's a business. So you need to price it at a point that makes sense, right? All, so think about the expenses, the overhead, the sampling charge, factor all those things in. Once you get that off, what is a comfortable point where you could say, okay, this was worth it, right? So whether that's $20 for you, whether it's $30, $40, $50, that, like, let that be your, your small profit margin, right, in a, in a place that makes sense for you. And then, you know, certain products could be priced more. Like, I was thinking about making the Renaissance shirt more expensive than the other ones because it was a limited edition shirt. It's something that was never going to release again. And it was a very intricate design, whereas, like, the other shirts were a little more plain, right? So that's something that I would have considered. I didn't because, you know, we're still in the early, early stages of the brand. But let's say had I been running successfully for five years, yeah, maybe that'd be a little more expensive because it is a, a uh, you know, a one-off type of never-to-be-created-again type of shirt, you know? Um, but I say, yeah, I mean, for any creative listening, I say, price your work, you know, based on the value you put to it, right? Um, How you feel about it, how much work you put into it, and a price that you're willing to stand proudly on. I think a lot a lot of times, and this has happened with myself, like, I was thinking, like, hmm, if I made this shirt a certain price, maybe nobody would buy it. So right? you're worrying about the market dictating the price rather exactly. than you dictating the price? Okay. Yeah, to an extent. But I realized, like, when I when I sold the shirt and I sold out so so quick, I was like, dang, like, should I have made it more? But you never want to get mon- money hungry with something that you love because it takes the fun out of it, right? Um, It takes, like, the 
the like the natural factor of it gets taken away when you start thinking of a dollar sign. Like I never design anything and think like, wow, this is going to sell crazy. But for the dollar amount, I think, wow, this is going to sell crazy and a lot of people are going to have it. And that's what makes me happy. Speaking of dollars, yeah. how did you because you said you 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 work a job as well. Yes. How did you raise funds to even get this stuff made? And was and was that like a moment? I wonder, I, you know, I wonder, was that the moment where it's like, oh, this is real because I have to like get money and pay somebody yeah. down and I'm going to get, and I'm going to get this idea that I had in my brain and now it's going to be this physical thing I can yeah. touch and wear. Um, so was that like a, a moment for you where it's like, oh, this is real now because I got to put up actual money and, and, you know, yes or no. And then also how did you go about raising the funds? Yeah. So to answer both of those great questions, um, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of one of those uh things like, you know. Like I think of I think of like becoming an adult, right? When when you kinda have to start paying for things on your own, like when your parents aren't backing everything, you start to value them a little different, right? So my, I started to take my brand a lot more serious when I started to have to put my own money into it. And like I said, sampling is not cheap at all. So it's one of those things where it's like, okay, if you're gonna start, you have to commit to it. So if I'm gonna pay X amount for the sample then I have to turn around and make this product. It just has to be worth it, right? Um, and so that's what kind of made it real for me is the sampling, you know, speaking to artists, trying, oh my goodness, that's another thing that we're going to talk about. Like find, when you have an idea, you can't find anyone to make it because me personally, like I can't draw that well. So like I have to pay someone to do my artwork, you know, like I used to be really good with graphic design, but I, I fell off a little bit um, just, you know, focusing on other stuff. So I'm really good at coming up with ideas, but I struggle sometimes with finding people to make them because I went through like a countless amount of like graphic designers and stuff and they weren't able to bring certain visions to life. And, you know, that's no no shade to them because certain graphic designers specialize in different things, right? So, or, or they also made maybe maybe a, like the manufacturer thing. Where it's like, I need every little detail yeah, from you before I even put pen exactly. to paper or, you know, pen exactly. to screen because I'm not going to guess here. Yeah, and that's the thing, like... When working with people, you have to understand, like, they can only create what you tell them to create. Like, sometimes you get a little yeah. bit of and leeway. They, and they might infer, but then if it's not exactly what you want, they're going to be like, well, yeah, I had to you, infer yeah, what you want. Exactly. So try to try to be as specific as you can, but also give people that grace that, like, you know, not not everybody can see. Like, you, I don't know how to explain it, but I'm sure maybe you could think of it from even like a DJ perspective, like you're trying to explain to somebody that, Hey, this thing would work, but they don't understand the vision. You get what I'm saying? Like they're not hearing it the same way yeah, you are. It's, it's one thing to have it in your head. It's another thing to translate exactly. it and then to be able to explain it to other people. Yeah. So being able to articulate your ideas is, is very hard sometimes. Like me, like I'm not that, I don't, I personally don't feel like I'm that great at talking. I get like very, um, like I start to ramble because there's so many things going on in my head. Like I don't really know how to, to express everything whereas like if i'm writing ideas it's more like that's a scattered process for me so it works easier for me whereas like speaking i gotta speak on the spot you know and it's tough but um yeah so i struggled a lot with with finding proper artists um a lot of trial and error oh my goodness and i feel like it's a certain aesthetic that i look for especially like a lot of my references are vintage i love like vintage artwork and stuff so a lot of my stuff is like, you know, like painted or oil painting, things of that nature, like watercolor. So I had to find an artist that specializes in that. I want you to hold on to that because that leads to a, another question. Okay. I, that I was going to save for later. Okay. But just real quick, 
so you were talking about like, hey, when you have to pay for stuff on your own, you take it seriously. Oh, yeah. How did you, what was like, if you, if you want to share the dollar amount, yeah. you don't have to, but what was the price of just that? Not even all the PCI, just that one Providence piece. And like, how did you raise the funds? Was it just like, I have to save up for this? Yeah. Was it, did you already have money put aside and then like it would cover it? Did you realize yeah. like you wouldn't cover it? Like, oh, I have to do. So what, like, how did you figure that out? Like, and how did you get the funds? Yeah. So, um, thankfully I have like a career. Um, so, so my job is where I get my funding for my brand. Um, so this is self-funded. Yeah. It's self-funded. If anybody, if there's anybody listening that wants to be an investor, please contact me. We could talk because uh, I have a lot of ideas so we can make it, we can make it shake. Or if I win, if I win the, the lawsuit that comes against me, <laughs> I will make any it of shake. these people and then I will, yeah. I will invest. Oh, you hey, know what? You can, you can hold me to that. You I, know, if, if I somehow win yeah. whatever lawsuit comes my way, cause it's, it's about to happen. Um, it's we, bound we to name dropped a lot of big, uh, people. I'm scared. <laughs> so actually. many are going to start. They might take this off of the internet. <laughs> I saw, I saw I, Kanye talk about Bernard and like, controversy disappeared. Hey, you know, Eric Bischoff said it best: controversy creates cash. So, oh, hey man, yeah. <laughs> hey, I'm not, I'm not gonna say it because you know Bernard <laughs> might sign my checks one day. But uh, Jason said that Bernard sucks. <laughs> he said, he said Bernard sucks. So, <laughs> if we want to put that as a headliner, Jason said Bernard sucks. Man, I'm, I'm literally just gonna get like one of those crink graffiti paint markers and buy, go on Grailed. I don't care if it's fake or real. Yeah. And buy some of these brands and, and just, just start drawing. I, I just. The ex, you know, Bernard, yeah. sue me, Rick. That sue would actually, I'm seeing it now. That would actually be fire. I'm not even lying. Like, that could be a nice art installment. Wow. <laughs> just, just paint it on yeah. anyway. So, money. So, you're self funded. All right. Yeah. yeah so, we're self funded. Yeah. We got old track. So, yeah, I'm self funded. Um, so, it hits a little harder, you know, when the when the money is coming out of your own yeah, pocket. Your own account. Yeah. It, hit, it definitely hits harder because you got to think about it. Like, there's times where, like, I'm struggling. I'm eating. I'm eating crackers for dinner. Did you did you get the number first? Like, did you get the number from the manufacturer first? And they're yeah, like, hey, so you need to pay us this much money. Yeah, and it, and is it an estimate? Are or like like could they possibly run into things where then it's even more than what they originally thought it was? And it's like crap. So I have to get X more money. Yeah, thankfully that hasn't happened to me. I haven't had that happen where they're like, well, oh, good. this is more expensive than I thought it would be. But I know that happens a lot in in a lot of different industries. But that hasn't happened happened to me personally. So I'm very happy about that. And thankfully, my manufacturer lets me put a deposit down, which is usually 50%. But, you know, if if you got to pay 4000 2000 right now is a lot better. And then you pay the rest upon delivery. But that also helps you with quality assurance, right? Because sometimes, and I noticed one time when I paid everything up front, the product didn't come out right. Or they, like, were, like, a little, like... You have a little bit less leverage exactly, since they have the money already. They have all the money, so... Um, they could even ch- choose to screw me over, you know, like that's the thing, like with overseas manufacturers, it's all a gamble. Like I'm paying this person I've never met before. And technically, like, I don't even know if I could get them in trouble. Like, who am I going to call? I can't. Who, who are you going to go to? Yeah. I can't tell 911 this person I'm communicating with on WhatsApp stole money from me. What are they going to do? Nothing. <laughs> so it's just one of those things where you're just trusting the integrity of these people and who they, who they've worked with. Right. So that's another thing. If you're going to work with an overseas manufacturer, make sure, like, you know, they're, um, like, certified. If you have anyone that's worked with them before, that's a plus. Or if, or if they can even name brands they've worked with, that's another plus. Just so, you know, give you a little bit of... Yeah, exactly. Gives you... Uh, so you know you're in safe hands. But, um, yeah, so self-funded. Um, I pay for the sample. Um, yeah. 
I lost my train of thought. But no, it actually, I think the segue, segues into uh, the shirt, the, the, the specific shirt. Well, I was going to say the segues in the question about when you were talking about working with artists and okay. things like that, because you were saying you were more of an idea person. Yeah. Um. So besides having the self-realization that you're you're an idea person, yeah. Um. How do you go about determining what to delegate, like what to reach out to somebody and have them do a thing mm. versus like I can take care Doing of this? Because I, I feel like that's just a general thing in business alone like like at what point do i hand this off so i can actually run the business mm. and keep the thing going rather than trying to micromanage do everything yourself so yeah. you mentioned you know having the self-realization that there are better designers out there i'll hand that off to them but yeah. is there any other stuff that you delegate and if what is it and how do you determine what to delegate um so the only thing i really delegate is the artwork and then obviously all the manufacturing, everything else I do myself. So, um, you know, I'll pick the fabrics. I'll, you know, decide, like, the colors, the fit, the measurements, all that. Um, even the grading. I, I got into, like, grading. So grading is, like, um, let's say I make a sample size large. So based on the measurements for the large, now we have to determine the measurements for the medium, the small, the extra large, and the 2XL based on the, the measurements for the large. It's not really that difficult, it's usually, you know, um, depending on what the fit of the shirt is, usually it'll be like uh, half a half an inch here or, you know, two inches here. It just depends on, on uh, it's a sliding scale. Like for the bigger sizes, you add a little more. For the smaller sizes, you take off a little less. It, it all depends. But, yeah, so I had to figure out the grading. Um, I got help from Kirby for the first time I did that, which was great um, because, you know, he's a designer at Puma, so he was able to give me some insight on that. Um but yeah, so mainly it's the artwork that I have to delegate and then obviously the clothes physically getting made. But everything else I do myself. So um, I'm a one-man army right now, but I'm definitely looking for help. Now, when it comes to that one-man army thing, yeah. you know, I'm assuming you probably did the website yourself as well. Cause, and, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm only saying that that's not for anybody who tries to infer anything here. That's not, that's not a jab. <laughs> it's going to, it's leading he, into my he, question. He was shit at let, me, let, no, let, it's going to lead in my question yeah. because with websites now, there's so many templates and so many things like yeah. your square spaces of the world and stuff like that, where it's really easy as a one man operation to get a website up. Yeah. Right. I, I'll attest to that as well. However, it um, takes time, you're, you're, well, you're not just selling online. You were talking about your pop-up. Yeah. So that brings the question, you know, were you the one man operation for the pop up? Did you have help? And what went into see again, I'm not throwing shade people. This leads into stuff. What went into that pop up? Yeah. Like how many things did you have to consider? What did you have to prepare for? Yeah. What like how did you choose the location? Like how did you how did you go about in your head creating a a, a retail experience yeah. in person? Because online it's it's a lot it's easier a lot to, to like easier. like to craft it because you can just choose color palettes yeah. and designs. But in, in person, there's there's way more dynamics. So can you walk through that? Like, you have the pieces. Yeah. You already had to set the date back. But, like, what went into preparing that first pop-up? And did you have to delegate anything? And, like, what were the things you had to consider? And were there, were there like, some surprises where, like, oh, I didn't realize I had to think about this? Yeah. Um. So great question. The pop-up was really fun. It was an experience. And thank you to everyone that, uh, you know, took time of their, out of their evening to be there. I was there. Yeah. <laughs> this this actually happened really organically. Like, we met at the pop-up, and then it just, you know, it turned into this. So this is great, and thank you so much uh, for following up, Jason. Oh, yeah. No um, problem. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, I can't say thank you enough. <laughs> but, yeah, so, all right. So I'll walk, 
y'all through like the genesis of how everything went down. So, um, I can't give you dates for for like, I like take us from like, I like you have products and you have the idea for the pop-up to like, all right, the pop-up starting. Yeah. All right. So it's funny because I like when I was making this shirt, I didn't know how I wanted to do the pop-up. I was thinking like, not, and there's nothing against like doing, you know, like a regular retail pop-up, but I was like, no, like again, one of those ideations behind PLV is like, you know, that subjective luxury and like, one of the most luxurious things to me is being around people that, you know, share the same, you know, interests as you. Right. Or even like, I don't know if everyone can relate, but those times where like you hang out with your friends and then after you reflect about it and it's like life is worth living again. Right. So I was like, how can I continuously create that feeling over and over? Right. Organically. And also have that be associated with my brand. So I was like, boom, let me just create an experience based on the piece that we're marketing right so i was like okay we're doing this shirt let's do the pop-up and i made a joke i was like yeah we're gonna do the pop-up there like i always made a joke that i wanted to do like a runway show on on the providence river right so we're doing the photo shoot in at la gondola and before i get there uh my friend chowder or Elio, his is his actual first name he's a photographer and then the model uh uh his name is uh, uh, Donald or uh, Donnie, we call him Donnie. Um, but I we call him Tan. We'll just call him Tan, right? For all intents and purposes, we'll call him Tan. That's his Instagram, Tanavelli. Great model. Um, so Tan and Chowder were at the location for the pop up, and before I get there, you know, they're they're hitting me up and they're telling me like, "Hey, like the owner's looking for you," and I'm like, "Hmm, that's strange. I wonder why." So when I get there, they're like, "Hey." Uh, this is the owner of La Gondola, and they they uh, formally introduce us, and I'm talking to him, and he's telling me how much he loves his shirt, and I'm like, wait, wow, this is real, like, you know, we're having a conversation, and he's he's telling me about his idea for his company in the future, and how he wants to expand it, and all these different things, and he's talking about how he's always wanted merchandise, and how he loves, you know, the shirt, and he would love, like, for it to represent La Gondola, so we're doing um the photo shoot there on site as you know some of you have seen the pictures if you haven't please feel free to go and check them out on the uh plv official instagram page um but so after we finished the photo shoot um he told me that he would love for me to do the pop-up for for the shirts there so boom so that's step number one we got verbal um we verbally agreed that we're gonna do the pop-up there right that's the easy part. So you, got, you got the location. <laughs> exactly. You got the location. But then we got to figure out how we're going to do this, right? So I'm looking at the space and I'm like, dang, like, how are we even going to pull this off? How how are we going to be able to manage all these people in a public area? That's that's the number one issue. It's a public it was area. outdoors and yeah. like, there's weather and exactly. it's public and people can be walking by. Exactly. There were so many different factors. But I was thinking about like, okay, we're doing this shirt on site. It could be people going there. For, you know to go rent the gondolas or go on a gondola ride and they could organically see the shirt but i was like you know what let me actually create an entire experience let me rent out the gondolas for a couple hours of the duration of the pop-up so that the people that come can go ride them for free right so i was like again back to this experience thing i think yeah like champagne and stuff yeah too, right? yeah to, again, I, I, I also did a free bar yeah, so I did a free bar. So it's all about it was all about providing an experience for me. I wanted people to take something away from the pop up besides the fact that they're coming and buying the shirt, right? Again, 
now everybody that came to the problem and got the shirt, they can associate that shirt with their first gondola ride. It's like, that's just a bigger picture that I like to think on. It's like, like there's a lot of emotion and feeling that goes into, you know, the things that we wear. Right. As I mentioned before earlier, like I, I dress based on how I'm feeling. So someone bought that shirt based on their first gondola, gondola ride experience. And that's a positive experience that they're now associating with the brand. So, um, the, in regards to logistics, so obviously I had to pay for, um, the renting of the boats for, I believe it was two or three hours, which was quite expensive. You guys ran me up, <laughs> but thank you everyone for coming. So we, we had to pay for that. I had to pay for the DJ, uh, mad about that life. Shout out to him. He did a wonderful job. Um, I had to pay for the clothing racks. Um, I obviously had to pay for the wine and champagne as it pay for the cups, which my friend uh, Jada provided. Shout out to her. Thank you so much, Jada. Love you. Um, my friend Dejon ran the register for me. My best friend. Shout out to Day. Appreciate you, bro. Um, what else do we have going on? I believe that was it. And then I guess another note to the logistics. Also promoting it, too. Yes, promoting yeah, it. Yes. Word out yes. So I, so I paid, obviously, the photographer for, um, you know, the photo shoot. I also paid the videographer, Laren Ritter. Uh, he did a, he did a great job with a promotional video um what else did we pay for uh oh i had to my friend um tito he he taught me how to screen print like a few days before so we actually screen printed um the the tote bags so we had to pay for that i also had to pay for the tote bags um to get them you know shipped out over here so there was there was quite a, a lot of things that we had to you know consider exactly and then I also had to think about what day would make sense, right? Because if you're doing on the weekend, people like to go out. It's just a it's just a fact, right? So I knew if I did it on a Friday, maybe we wouldn't have the the proper turnout, right? So I decided what's a good day that makes sense for people to come out, you know, especially and participate in these things that I'm offering, such as like you know the open bar, such as like the gondola rides, and and you know stay a while, right? So I figured a Thursday, Thursday for most people is like their wind down day, you know, people. I usually get ready for the weekend. So I was like, all right, a Thursday makes sense. The times made sense. The dates made sense. So, um, and then also we had to consider the weather because it was outdoors. But um, all in all, after all the planning, it was a, it was a great turnout and a lovely experience. Um, the owner of um, uh, uh, Cafe Vino, I believe it's called, the food place right there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, his buddies actually came down and tried to get him a shirt, but I didn't have his size. I sold out already, but that was really cool as well. Like they, everybody saw what was going on and they wanted to be a part of it. So I was really appreciative of that. But yeah, the pop-up is just like a, a wonderful memory and I can't wait to do the next one. Um, the next pop-up we're going to do, I wanted to do it on Black Friday, but the, the clothes aren't ready yet. But I'm thinking early December. So I wanted to do like the coolest clothing drive. So I'm thinking um, my idea for it is I'm, I'm going to have, and nobody steal this. No, I'm kidding. I would actually love if, you know, more brands did this. I, I feel like it could be really beneficial. Um, But so I'm, I'm going to do a pop-up and we're going to make it a clothing drive. So if you bring an article of clothing, then you receive a free piece. I'm, I'm still deciding what the piece is. Maybe it'll be a t-shirt. Maybe it'll be a tote bag, but I'm thinking it's a really good way to get us all gathered, but also do it for a good cause, right? It's, it's essentially an exchange. You're bringing in something that you're willing to donate, and I'm giving you something new for it. 
but yeah, so um, I can't wait to do that. I just need to, there's a bunch of logistics that have to go into that as well. I need to find um, either a nonprofit or, you know, a donating center where we could, where we could get all the clothes donated to. So that's probably the most important thing I need to figure out right now. But I think that'll be fun. I'm also going to offer on-site screen printing. So I think that's another thing that, you know, a lot of people probably have thought about learning, just aren't sure how. So I'm thinking um, they, they're either going to be able to screen print their own shirts or they're going to be able to screen print their own tote bags. But I think that would be cool. I just I just like think of cool ways to get people together and just, you know, interact. Right. I think people try to think of fashion as this like super like insiders club, like like I don't know, like this hierarchy. And I just think like it's more like the luxury for me is more in the, exper- the experiences, the 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 feeling around the clothes, the feeling around everything we're doing, like building a community. Right. Like if people know that PLV is this place where they could come and feel home and they could see their friends and experience new things. Right. Like I said, luxury is subjective. So I want to introduce people to things that maybe they, they either haven't thought of or they haven't done before, but it's something that, you know, they could benefit from greatly. Um, so I think that's cool. Community is very important. So, you know, you did this pop-up and you're, now you're talking about your next pop-up idea. That's going to be a bit different, right? Yeah. You do have your website and, you know, there's a lot of people who like design like clothes. And when I say design, they, they, it's more of like a drop shipping method and it's to, and yeah. it's to actually like, it's more about a business rather than design stuff, yeah. right? Like you hear about all these stories like on Amazon, stuff yeah. like that. Then you have people who they build brands, but they're like online only. Like they're mm. like, they're, they're just selling right off Instagram. They don't even have a website. Yeah. And then, you know, there could, there's been so many arguments made like, is retail dying? Is it not dying? Da, da, da. What do you think? Do you think that like, it's a hybrid model. Do you think there's going to be just more pop-ups? Do you think like, you know, people do need the physical store? Does the physical store not like, do you think it's like kind of a blending of the two? Mm. What What is your opinion on that? Since you do have both and yeah. you're doing these like pop-up experiences. So I think, um, the most important way that I see retailers, you know, kind of curving this, this, this diet, this notion of retailing dying out is that they're, like I said, providing an experience, right? So, if we think of Aim Leon Door in New York, right? You know they have a cafe. Or you think of Kith Ice Cream, right? So there's there's things that and Ralph Lauren had the restaurant. I didn't even know that. That yeah, is they, crazy. They had a restaurant for I don't know if it's still around, but like they had a restaurant at at one point. I don't know if they still have it or not, but yeah, it was that like to coincide with that. Sheesh! Thank you for telling me that. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, look that up and do a bit of research on that. But um, yeah. So I think when you're able to provide, like I said, as simple as that, provide an experience, have something that people are drawn to the brand for other than, you know, you just selling them a product, I think that's what helps these brick-and-mortar stores thrive. You know, like these these boutiques, for example, like Bodega's a really cool concept store. Like, just going there is cool, right? So a lot of people associate that with the brand. Going there, you know, the whole, uh, you have to pull, I think you got to slide the door, you got to pull the handle open and the door opens. Like, the front of the store actually looks like a bodega, and that's incredible, right? But Bodega also periodically does, like, they, they'll do like parties like i went to a reebok um a reebok and bodega collab party and it was incredible or look look, look at the a life parties and how you know exactly. and, and rest in peace a life but like yeah. look how all those became like legendary when they're like getting people like john yeah. mayer and just blaze to perform together in the exactly. backyard and it's like well i want to go crazy be part of that yeah like and that's that's how big i want to take it like like just having fun you know because i have so many friends in the dj space and doing other things like like we could associate the brand with so many things, but at the end of the day, though, 
it has to make sense, right? You can't just do things because you don't want your brand associated with everything. And I'm not saying that in a bad way, but it's like you don't want people to confuse what it is that your brand does. You don't want to muddy the story. Exactly. You don't want people to now think PLV is a party label, right? You don't want them to, like, mix everything you're doing. Everything has to be specific um, and do timing, right? But back to answer your question, yeah, so it's like, you know, some people go to Aim Leon Door and get their daily coffee the same way they do. Well, it's probably super expensive, but <laughs> they, they'll go there every day and build a relationship with the workers, build a relationship with the with the baristas, you know, like know that they can go in there and, and kick it, right? I mean, yeah, Bape had cafes. Bape had exactly. hotels back in the day, I'm too. telling you, that, but it's really that simple. Like, that's really so, like, every time I go to New York, even if I don't buy anything at Kith, I go get the ice cream because it's incredible. And it's cool to, like, the shopping experience is that much cooler when I'm enjoying ice cream. It's also a very lower, like a, a lo- really low priced entryway into the brand. If, exactly. if, especially if you're a young kid that can't afford the t-shirt or the sneakers, yeah. but you can afford to pay $10 for like a kid's a treat cereal yeah. and like maybe the milk or something. Yeah, exactly. It's cool. And like, as you can see, like I keep like, you know, like little memorandums on my desk. Like I, I went from the New York Fashion Week party. They, uh, uh, J- how do you say that liquor? J- Jägermeister. Oh, Jägermeister. Ja- Jägermeister. They sponsored it, so the it was it was Kid Super artwork on the on, on the, the bottles they gave out. Oh, gotcha. And like, and Kid is doing something similar now for the for the Knicks game. Yeah, they're do, they're doing like they're doing the towels. They're doing like yeah. commemorative cups. They're doing everything. I'm telling they're doing you, pop up. Out like yeah. right at the entrance of the arena, you don't have to have a ticket. But if you have a ticket, they'll give you extra shit. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I, like I, as you can see, I collect everything. I collect, I keep boxes, like all types of cool stuff. Right. I'm seeing the uh, the Reese's Puff, Travis Scott. Yeah. And I'm seeing the uh, the Cactus Plant Feed yeah. Market, McDonald's. Yeah, we got a bunch of stuff. So it's just like, you know, these little things that people could collect. Like for example, like we did like crazy numbers on the on the top. I keep saying we, but. Is is me, but we just sounds better. <laughs> but we we did crazy numbers on the tote bag at the pop up, right? Because like like I said, not everybody could do that one ten for the shirt at the time. But at the at the pop up, the totes were going crazy. You know, so like you said, it's an entry level, right? So, but yeah, I think to answer your question, building an experience like it has to be a reason why people are drawn to your brand, right? Like for example, I went to Cure today. And they had a projector. Well, I like every time I go to Cured, I always hang out, and I love that. Not like besides the fact that obviously my friends and stuff work there, and Sudi's a great friend of mine. But I feel like there's Cured is like, and I'm not sure if a lot of people appreciate it in this in this sense, but like Cured is really an experience. Like it's a teaching moment almost. Almost like if you go in there, like you could learn about so many different things by just going on all the racks. But I don't think people think about it that way. I've had so many conversations about like. Japanese brands and pieces that I like that aren't really available here yeah. like, and, and like him and I have gone gone I'm off and, you, and then and then I'll buy a piece eventually but yeah. it's just kind of one of those things where it's like he's like he's like nah I, I get you yeah it's crazy though like if I go into Karen and Sudi's there I'll probably stay there for three hours because he's so knowledgeable we'll sit there and talk about everything like we actually wanted to do a podcast together at one time but maybe it will happen you know let's put it in the air but have him a guest on the Tiny Table podcast. Yeah, we're gonna actually hey, do that. Albert and Jason. We're actually gonna do that. I think is is it'll be like a like a like a music meets fashion type it thing. It needs to be comically small table. Though. Yeah, like it needs to be like super. Like I don't know if you've seen those like really small Japanese tables. I th- I'm I'm hearing it in my head. I think this is gonna work. The A and J Tiny Table, but we're gonna get sued. But it's okay, sue us, please. <laughs> you see how it went from sue Jason to sue us. Yeah, we're getting there. There you go. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I just think. When, when you're able to build a relationship with a consumer, I think 
that's the most important thing, right? So it's just these little subconscious things. Like, for example, people shop with Noah because they're sustainable, right? Or, um, I don't know, people shop with Supreme. Well, at the, at the beginning, though, Supreme always had this, like, like uh, I don't know how to explain it, but it's almost like they didn't want you to buy their clothes. Yeah, it was, it was at that time, like, every boutique like i remember going to clientele across the street yeah um for like kicks and shit and like you had to have like certain attitude walking in there and it's if, crazy and if you like showed any weakness or something yeah, they'll they, kick they, you out they wouldn't even kick you out they would just make you feel so, so uncomfortable. uncomfortable you would leave like yeah. it, it was like like every boutique like at that time and like, a lot of even a lot of sneaker places like everybody was a dick intentionally yeah. i yeah i heard i heard like horror stories about supreme like if you didn't skate like they weren't even assisting you it's crazy <laughs> which i get it though uh, i guess right it's not my company but i get it um that but that all you know added to the brand but yeah so it's just those those different things like i always think about like how would a plv retail space exist in this time that we live in right in this time where like everything's so consumable we have like tiktok culture and social media and stuff like how would i create a retail and i just i have this notion of acquired taste and i think that'll be like my addition to the city like when when all is said and done and you know there's a time to that i think if we were able to create a retail space that not only allowed let's say i'll use the word local designers to exist right in a space that allowed consumers from the city and from outside the city to come and buy our products readily available on racks but also allow you know people to whether it's like vintage pieces or you know, avant-garde pieces or ready to wear, like from other brands that like they haven't been introduced to, right? They don't know about them yet. Or maybe they do know about them and they just don't know where to buy it, right? I always think about that, like the idea of acquired taste, like you might not have been introduced to your potentially favorite thing yet. So I think that might be what could exist in Providence, right? Maybe we don't need to, we don't need the square footage of a Nordstrom, right? To fill it up with, let's say LV, Gucci, Dior and stuff, because it probably wouldn't do well. But maybe if we had a small boutique store and we decided the quantities and we decided the brands that go in there, right, based on, let's say, whether it was polls or just brands that, you know, numerically we see that people wear out here. And then we also add our own touch to it. And we also make it a space where we can do things such as pop-ups or we could, you know, do different installments, right? It could also serve as a gallery, just like a multifaceted space. I think that's the future of retailing in Providence. But that's that. Oh, my gosh. I just dropped the mic again. <laughs> Drops mic. But, um, yeah, I think that's that's where we can exist. So speaking of that, I think this is this is a good one to go out on. Um, I, as you said, drop mic. Uh, what is what is the future, both short and long term yeah. for you? Or poor Laville. Yeah. And what advice would you give to, you know, a younger designer out there? Maybe what advice would you have given to your younger self? Yeah. This this is actually my favorite type of question. This is like the type of question that you you hear the super like motivational music on. You see a clip or you see a reel. Listen, I'm not doing those kind of clips. There's <laughs> there's too many of those craptacular yeah. clips already. Yeah. Hey, it's a good grab though. I definitely listen for like two seconds and then swipe out, but hey, that's like, neither we're, we're, we're gonna keep the inspirational stuff, but yeah. we're, we're not gonna make it cheesy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please. No cheesiness. I'm lactose intolerant. I just dropped the mic again. That was fire. But um <laughs> All right, but all seriousness, um, so 
the future for me, right? So first of all, I've learned a lot. Um, so every time I'm not like, you know, releasing, I'm basically doing like R and D. Well, let me not lie. Sometimes I'm being lazy. I'm not gonna lie, but <laughs> I'm mainly doing R and D, right? So every day I'm figuring out ways to, you know, connect with the consumer on building a story or, you know, I'm, I'm designing pieces. I've had to push like collections back because I just felt like maybe it wasn't time yet. Maybe I can drop it in a way that'll be more impactful. So I'll rearrange, you know, so, but right now I'm working on a small capsule collection that's going to drop probably next month or yeah, hopefully let's say fingers crossed next month. It's, it's in sampling right now. So, you know, uh, hopefully everything goes well. That'll drop. I have a spring collection, spring summer collection, which is probably going to be my, my biggest offering ever, but I'm very excited for it. Like this jacket I'm wearing, I really love It's going to have a pearl logo. So that's going to be really cool. Um, there's going to be a lot of great cut and sewing pieces in there. Um, uh, should be doing a black history month. That's going to be a collab with, uh, the brand Walderside. One of my good friends, Anthony, um, he has a really dope brand. So we're going to do a collab for black history month. Um, and then anything that comes up in between, I already have the fall collection next year planned out. So I can't wait for that. I think that's going to be crazy. Um, just the momentum and everything that's going to lead up to that. I'm super excited for that. But, um, yeah, I'm, what I'm, uh, really working on is trying to narrow down on the smaller things. I feel like I got caught up worrying too much about like, oh, I want to drop this crazy piece, like the big cut and sew pieces and stuff. And I forgot about like the simpler things like t-shirts, like the essentials, you know, like socks, hats, the right? Things that are, but that are the money makers for yeah. these other honestly, brands. Honestly, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Right. So I think that's my biggest goal for myself right now. Obviously, I'm not forcing it because I don't like to create things like without being inspired. But thankfully, I'm I, I've like positioned myself to be in a creative uh, mode every day. I'm not really sure how I've done it and I don't want to be like super like spiritual or anything. But um, I just, you know, try to just, you know, stay aware. I guess that's the word I'll use. Like I try to seek the inspiration and in everything, you know, um. So I'll go with that. But uh, yeah, there's a lot coming up for the brand and I appreciate everyone that's been supporting. I'm definitely going to, another thing I need to do more is uh, post more on the brand page. So that's a, that's a goal I'm setting for myself is to just be more interactive. I have um, this visual mood board thing I'm working on, which is essentially going to be like maybe weekly or bi-weekly installments. And it's just going to kind of show where my inspiration, uh, you know, just gonna post kind of think of like a, a tumblr right but it's gonna be more interactive than just like pictures so and hopefully that could grow into something you know where we start having conversations around the things that inspire us uh so that's a goal i have for the brand um you know hopefully we could you know make that happen uh but the advice i would give to a young designer is number one as cliche as it sounds believe in yourself like seriously like whatever you're thinking, just go do it because I'll tell you for years, like literally I started and then I walk back, started, walk back, take four steps, take three back. Like I just always juggled with this idea like, okay, what if they don't accept it? Right. What if, what if it's not time? There's no idea when it comes to being a creative, there's technically no idea. There's no such thing as like the right time. Right. Because we're perfectionists about our own work. So you're always going to be able to critique your own work. But at the end of the day, Sometimes you just need to take a step back so you could so you could appreciate it. 
right? So I say, put the work in. Believe in yourself. And you just got to move crazy, like, in the sense of, like, like you just got to be able to risk it all, right? Roll the dice because you're going to eventually it's going to pay off. Um, Like, ask questions. You know, if there's anybody, especially myself, like, please feel free to ask questions. If you have any, DM me. Um, I'm, I'm more than willing to sit down and have a conversation with you, give you any guidance. I think, um, the biggest goal for me is to just put myself in a position to help others that want to start, because I know in my, in my beginning, um, it was very hard for me to get started because I didn't know where to start. Right. I didn't know who to ask. And I think that's another point I want to add is do your research, right? The internet has, I don't want to say has all the answers, but a good 85% of the the questions you're going to ask are on the internet. There are some questions that you won't find on the internet and those are probably, you'll probably learn those through experience or through conversations with people that have done it before. Right. But, um, yeah, just get started. I think we get too caught up sometimes on the bigger picture that we never, we never even take the first step. And I think we never realize that, like, how are you going to get to step 10 if you don't take the first one? Right. So just get started, have an idea, refine your vision, and then just, you know, make a plan, roll it out, and then just never lose sight of what your vision is. I think a lot of people get caught up. Just never lose sight. Like, at the end of the day, I know where I want to be, so I'm doing everything to position myself to get there, right? But, yeah, I mean, it's not too much thought. I think, you know, if if you have something that you want to create, just put your best foot forward and, you know, make sure you're you're creating a product that's not only for yourself, but that can benefit the people that are going to be consuming it. I think that's, that's important. Any final words, anything you want to plug? The floor is yours. We're going to go out with whatever you want to say. <laughs> uh, the floor is mine. Sheesh. Um, I guess. Thank you again, Jason, for having me. This was great. Um, I get really nervous when I'm talking to stuff, so I probably rambled a bit. Don't hold that against me. But, um, no, honestly, I think there's a lot of great things going on in Providence and I'm, glad to you know be a part of it um i think that i just want to say i'm proud of everybody that's killing it right now you guys inspire me every day even if i don't tell you enough like you know you're all doing extremely well and i think we you know we've already started to dead that crabs in a barrel mindset right but let's do it even more right let's plug each other where we can let's inspire continue to inspire each other let's continue to give each other grace um you know continue to you know, just lend a helping hand, right? Each one teach one. So I think there's no reason for me to have all these resources and stuff if I'm not willing to hand it over to the next person. And I think that's the difference between Rhode Island and a lot of other places. I think this communal aspect we have is a lot different than the other places. So, um, it's community over competition exactly right so we're not competing because at the end of the day somebody has to make it out so let's just everybody just keep working hard man and let's get there and uh yeah feel view to the world man <laughs> well with that albert chapakwa yes sir thank you for coming Long on the know. show thank you so much for having me and uh i think that's a good note to end it on so yeah. until next time everybody this has been the creative capital show Show for creative entrepreneurs. Until next time, everybody, keep on creating. Love it. Thank you. And that's it for this episode of The Creative Capital Show. Thank you for listening. 
A special thanks goes to this episode's guest, Albert J. Pacwa. The Creative Capital Show is hosted, recorded, edited, mixed, and produced by me, Jason Silvia. You can listen to The Creative Capital Show over at our website, creativecapitalshow.com. We're also available on Anchor FM, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. If you like the show, please subscribe. Helps the show out a lot. And be sure to follow the show on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, LinkedIn, and YouTube. I hope you enjoyed the show, and until next time, keep on creating.